Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 211, Arya 4 in a Storm of Swords, featuring our friend Karm. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, are you ready for a packed episode with our friend, Karm? Hello, Karm. Thank you for being here today. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. Karm, you, uh, honestly, the first time I saw, like, your Twitter, even, I think, I think all I saw were just some really sick shit posts and tweets about yeah. Aeswaf, so we're excited to have you. We're going to talk about your relationship with Arya and with Aeswaf and why you're into this chapter in just a minute after housekeeping, so thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks yes. for having us. You're about to give us a lot of your time tonight, so. Woo! <laughs> Buckle up. All right. Let's get into housekeeping real quick, real dirty Patreon episode this month. It's December 2023, not December 2013, which is when you might think it would be because of what we're about to tell you. But our Patreon bonus <laughs> episode for the stranger tier and above, you stay with me on this one, is going to be on the Hunger Games. Yes! At this time of recording, we're uh, we're pretty into writing the episode. We're part of the way in. I can't tell you how much is just going to be books, movies, what yet. That might be uh, remain to be seen when you bust into the episode. But yes, it's 2013 in this bitch. We're bringing you back a decade with the hope that we can get through these books and talk about them a little bit with you. Eliana and I kind of brainstormed about it. And Eliana's like, yeah, we, we should do that. We should do that, Chloe. I like these books. And yeah, as you said, it feels a little 2013. I saw a TikTok recently uh, from someone who's like a casting director and like was like, we should cast Josh Hutcherson in something. And the director was like, no one wants Josh Hutcherson. Turns out people want Josh Hutcherson, whose name I only learned last night. So What? <laughs> How did you not? I don't America's know actors' sweethearts. I can't. That's Five Nights at Freddy's guy now. I don't know He's, actors' They're co-opting him. Bridge to Terabithia, boy. Yeah. Wow. Eliana, we have much to talk about with you and Peta Malark, there, it sounds like, I, in this episode to come. I like the performance and Peta and all these things. I just I can't keep all these white boys' names straight in my head. So Valid. It's weird, because this one feels like your type. Does he? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. <sighs> so Well, nonetheless, we're going to have a blast talking about The Hunger Games, and I hope we... Go on to do the rest of them. Was that not the plan? <laughs> I, it better be. I don't know. It better be. That's my thought. Eliana, can you tell them where to find bonus episodes? You can find bonus episodes on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. Available for people in the stranger tier and above. That's $5 and up. But there's also things available for people in the $10 and above tier, thunder tier and above, which is discord brunch slash rappy hour and you know what i'm sorry that's it that's a wrap for this year but don't worry we got a jam-packed 2024 coming up for you and by that we mean the same probably amount of rappy hours usually but anyways yeah we do a monthly brunch slash happy hour it's for the thunder tier like eliana said 10 bucks and up and you also get access to our private discord server that has tons of channels where people are discussing their various fandom things or even about work, right? Bitching about work or shitposting memes. Respectful thirsting. It's a very respectful channel, I would say. There's a lot going on there. We'd love to have you. And it's kind of like a lifetime membership. You know, don't screw it up. Come, enjoy, taste, hang, 
It's a blast. But next year, we'll be back with those brunches. We'll be announcing that date for you uh, via Patreon, probably, is where you'll hear that update for January 2024. So keep on the lookout. Slay. And with that in mind, for the holidays, Aria 5 will be our last ASWAF POV episode, I think, next week. I think that's it until 2024. So... Thanks for hanging out this year with us. We'll talk a little more about year close in the next episode and what to expect for our holiday schedule. We are putting together our holiday schedule, which perhaps you all are also doing the same, putting together your end of year schedules and calendars. We will be having a couple of patron-sponsored episodes that we'll be dropping from the patron bonus episode vault in that meantime. So you won't necessarily be absent. You'll hear a couple couple of other episodes. They'll probably be ASWAF themed or other media themed, uh, and they might not necessarily coincide with our POV apps, but thanks to patrons for unlocking that, and we will be back in probably mid-January to start back up with Aria 6. Yeah, but that's future Aria. We'll talk about Aria here today, in the present, with Karm, present with us, in this room. A present to us. Room. Yeah, wow. Holidays. Happy holidays. I'm always <laughs> saying this. Carm, <laughs> uh, tell everybody a little bit about your ASWAF relationship. I mean, personally, I know that... Okay, actually, we need you to solve something bigger before we yeah, get into up? that. How do you pronounce... Do you pronounce it Angai, Angai, Anji, Anji? Right, so as the oh, resident... Boy. As the resident Angai enjoyer, yes. I love him so much. But yeah, I always I call him Angai because that's how I like gathered it from the show. Scandalous, scandalous mm. and vulnerable moment for me. I actually watched the show before I read the books. Yeah, yeah. like I because I started watching the show my freshman year of college, which was t- 2018. I was like getting ready. The final season was about to come out, and I was like, I want a thing to watch. So I binged all seasons one through seven in two weeks and then i watched season eight as it was coming out live and you know hated it etc etc and i just kept re-watching it and then i started listening to history of westeros shout out because i was really curious about like lore from there i started branching out more and i was like okay i want to read these books so i read them love them deeply i read them during the pandemic they were very comforting to me i like wasn't super into like reading i was as a child but these like really like reawakened my love of reading and i just think that the world building is phenomenal and the thing i like the most about a song of ice and fire is the characters they're so like wonderfully human and Mm -hmm. like they do beautiful things and they do terrible things and it's like just really wonderful to be witness to Arya is my favorite. Love her so much. She just is such... I'm an Arya trans boy truther. I, like, see so much of, like, me as a little kid in Arya. People always talk about how Arya is a tomboy, and I think that there's a lot more to her than that, of course, but, like, that, like, really stood out to me when I watched the show. Just, like, from the very first moment we see her on screen, like, doing the stitches wrong, I'm like, ugh. She's so real. So, yeah, I love her chapters. I love her inner... the way that she thinks and the way that she, like talks and i think that her journey is probably the most interesting to me in the series yeah i love that thank you for sharing that with us and i think there's something like she's so clever Mm aria is just so clever she's quick as a whip she's just like i like that girl i I think because george also obviously likes aria and because paris likes aria we're real blessed we're real hashtag blessed when it comes to aria so why this chapter is my next question because i know that like 
I gave you, I think, front of the mill, right? What did I say? Like, clash through dance, yeah. whatever. <laughs> what? Why this one? This is one of my favorite chapters in all of A Song of Ice and Fire. I, I really like that kind of, like, nothing happens. Like, this isn't the chapter where we meet Beric. This isn't the chapter where we meet Harwin. This is just the chapter where we hear all these things about Beric. And it really adds to his whole, like, folklore situation. And this chapter is also, like... The end of this chapter made me cry so hard the first time I read it. Like, it is just such a beautiful moment between Arya and Lady Smallwood. Just like the gender of it all. This chapter was crazy for me. And I I also love, you know, the Ghost of High Heart. Anytime she's here, I'm pleased. So I just thought it was like a great chapter where it's like, I'm like, wow, it's like such a treat. We get Lady of the Leaves, we get Ghost of High Heart, we get Lady Smallwood. I don't know, it's just, it's a, it's such a silly chapter too. I just love it. It's very underrated. Yeah, it's got like some really light notes and then also yeah. a little sadness and it's got a little pepper of the brotherhood, but not too much, right? They're not taking over the pages yet and it focuses more on those small yeah. stories. I love the brotherhood also. Small wood stories. <laughs> small wood stories. But just because they're small stories doesn't mean they're small. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited about this chapter. Shit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah. I also think it's interesting that you said what you rewatch the series over and over again, trying to to make some meaning out of it, which means like this is something that does not happen, as far as I remember, right? Not really, like in Mm-mm. in in the show, the Sm- Lady Smallwood stuff. So yeah, I, yeah, I think it's interesting that this is one that hit you so hard because of that, not because of that, or that hit you so hard. Yeah, in the context of you knowing the show so well. Yeah, when I say I rewatched the show, I would say that that applies mostly to seasons like one through four ish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'm showing it, <laughs> I'm showing it to someone I'm seeing right now, and I'm like, listen, like I am gonna tune out like after season four, like if there's nothing more for me, dissociate, stare at the wall. Yeah, and, and even even with season four, like I like it, but it's not like amazing. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah. But some of the reading the books was really exciting to me because of like all the stuff I would read Reddit posts where they'd be like, this is different in the books. I was like, oh my god, like, I need to read it. But nobody ever talks about this chapter like that. Nobody ever is like, Mm. remember when Lady Smallwood gives Arya boys clothes? No one, like, talks about this chapter. Except for, like, in the completely isolated context of the Ghost of High Heart prophecy. It's just, like, it felt really special to me. Yeah. I love that. I'm excited because I think every time we get to share an ASWAF chapter with someone and, like, get to learn a little bit about why it's special to them. I think it imbues like a new specialness back into it. You know, that even after five years of reading like this, like you still can love the series. And I don't know, I feel like there's that era when you first start reading Aeswav, especially like the reread era when you're like, you're getting it, but you're like, you're like, damn, that was a crazy series I just read. And you're like, I have to start rereading it. Any series that immediately like commands you to reread it like that in your brain that's a special series. Like, there's no other way to put that. So that's, yeah, it's special. It was a special book series. Anyways, I don't care right. about it, though, or anything associated with it. Yeah, I hate it. That's That was where we were leading with that, right? That's That was <laughs> yeah. the next progression. <laughs> um, you know. I don't care for these books. <laughs> I don't care for, what is it? I don't, I don't care for Job. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care for Job. Yeah, Job. We don't care Job. for him. It's Job, yes. All right. Yeah. Buster's baby boy. Yeah, Buster, no, I think Buster was just top of mind because I was like watching a therapist talking about parentified children and mm. it was like Buster. It was, I was like fascinating. I'm, fascinating. 
I'm over here about to compare them, like Renly and Stannis mm. and uh, Robert, you know, the true oh, steel yeah. and the, the breaks before he bends oh and shiny copper. Buster is just shiny copper. My favorite thing to do is assign Baratheon brother identities to random trios. Yes, always. Absolutely always. Always sunny? Uh, there it is. Literally. Uh, God. Oh, well, that works better with the Greyjoys, yeah, but does. I digress. We're getting well. off track. <laughs> Thank you, Carm. Thank you. For coming on. We're going to have some fun tonight. We're going to have some shenanigans. I think we're going to have some laughter, maybe a few tears, maybe some music. There might be some singing. Uh, wow. I think it's all going to happen for us Amazing. ahead in this episode. That's your teaser at the episode some, ahead. I forgot you've been even. making tunes. <laughs> I forgot. That's so exciting. Uh, we have an email. It's from one of our good friends, Lo. And I, I would be remiss if we didn't get to include this because it's got some really great ideas in it. Now, there are two big thoughts in this. So we're going to start with thought one. I'm going to lead us in on thought one. And we're going to chat about thought one. And to quickly set some context, this is a we are time traveling. And this, uh, this email is sent slightly in reaction to uh, some of Arya's adventures in Harrenhal. Yeah. And it's two separate thoughts, and they're really fucking great thoughts. We'd be remiss if we didn't include them. Uh, I want to bring them up one at a time. We're going to go thought one, read it, talk about it, and then thought two, read it, talk about it. I'll lead us in on thought one, and we'll go from there. Ready, everyone? Start your engines. Uh, a low email is always good. It's an adventure. You know yes. what I mean? I love a low email, so this feels good. We were, we were due for one. Thought one. Lo has emailed us discussing Goodwife Amabel and her reaction to Goodwife Hera dying. Lo actually kind of puts out the thought that maybe they had a romantic relationship and could have been lovers, somewhat reminiscent of when Garth Greyfeather dies at the wall and we get that line. Elf of runny mud let out a howl loud enough to wake sleepers in the shadow tower. Lowe says that heteronormativity and homophobia in Westeros could really prevent them from grieving their lovers, thinking to couples like Loris and Renly, or Laner and Joffrey Lawnmouth, right, if we're looking at Hot D. It also reminds Lowe of this quote from Judith Butler, where Butler discusses how heterosexual relationships are the only ones deemed legitimate by society, and what consequences that really has. It means that when you arrive at the hospital to see your lover, you may not. It means that when your lover falls into a coma, you may not assume certain executorial rights. It means that when your lover dies, you may not be the one to receive the body. It means that when the child is left with the non-biological parent, that parent may not be able to counter the claims of biological relatives in court and that you lose custody and even access. It means you may not be able to provide healthcare benefits for one another. And if you've actually lost the lover, who was never recognized to be your lover, did you really lose that person? Is this a loss and can it be publicly grieved? Surely this is something that has become a pervasive problem in the queer community given the losses from AIDS, the losses of lives and loves that are always in struggle to be recognized as such. Yeah, that's uh, it's very terrible and sad. So this like particular Judith Butler quote brings to mind my favorite play ever written. That's dramatic, but it's like my current favorite play. It's called Stop This. <laughs> Yeah, it's called Stop Kiss by Diana Sun, and it is about a lesbian couple in the 90s. And long story short, I'm not going to spoil it or get into the plot, but one of them is in a coma, and it is like really 
heart-wrenching and very interesting to see what happens at the hospital because her lover goes to visit her and she has to pretend like they aren't in love mm. and the girl who's in the coma like her kind of estranged family is there and they are the ones getting told things first they are the ones that like are being comforted by doctors and it's just like so like cold and like interesting um so this reminds me a lot of that another thought that i had about this low email about goodwife hera and goodwife amabel i think this is very interesting especially considering that these two women are the ones that sentence aria to go serve with weiss at harrenhal it makes me think about how they originally find solace in the violent status quo of harrenhal furthering the horror in our point of view character's arc by sending her to the monster of the week which is weiss even though they play along they still are not safe from the brutality that awaits many lowborn women in westeros it kind of brings to mind for me the women that are like, they're not like other girls, or like, I don't have female friends because of the drama. Those types of women who try to separate themselves from the rest of the female population only to face the exact same misogyny in the world as their perceived vapid and lesser counterparts. So, yeah, yeah it reminds me of that. I think that's a great way to look at it, especially because Hall itself is built like a torture isolation machine. Yeah. Right? Like, it's meant to isolate you. It's meant so that you're not allowed to befriend other people and have hope. Yeah. Mm. It kills hope. It's meant to extinguish hope. Right? And for her to have lost, even if it wasn't her lover, but, mm. like, putting it into that term, for Amabel to have lost her lover, the only person that was, like, her reprieve from being out of there, or the person that she trusted enough with her thoughts about the place, whatever they may have been, you know, like, that's... That's harrowing. That's fucking tragic yeah. stuff. That's... Well, these books suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> harrowing Hall. Harrowing Hall. Harrowways Hall. Have you seen... Harrowways Have you guys Hall? seen yeah. that meme? It's like Spongebob in the dark hallway and it's grainy. It's the, the joke originally was like, I think about iCarly and it's like Carly and Sam's plot we're doing a wacky webcam and it's like spencer's subplot <laughs> and it's like the spongebob in the hallway that's how i feel about heron hall it's just a ridiculously brutal subplot every time i read it i'm like shocked it's dark yeah, yeah. i'm like aria went through what it is especially because in the show she's just a cute little cupbearer for tywin obviously still traumatic but what happens in the books is like unfathomable to me yeah, because they did, I will say they brought, like, the tickler stuff yes. to life pretty pretty graphically, at least. Yes. But, I mean, especially because it's through Arya's eyes in the book, we're seeing it in the background, written as it is, with no emotion added yeah. to it. She's like, don't know why that's happening. And we're like, oh, because they're prisoners of war and they're being tortured, even though we know they know nothing. Ha <laughs> yep. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, and Arya's very young, so it's kind of, like, normalized, you know, in that perspective. It's like, well, this is just what's happening now, but we at least get adults in the Brotherhood being like, that That was not normal. I'm so sorry you went through that. But I, I, I really like this idea of goodwife Amabel being maybe goodwife to Hera, if you will. Goodwife, get right, it? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Their, their names. Um, but also... I, th I think it's an interesting also like perspective when you look at the way that Amabel reacts to Arya like with the absolute absolute venom and like kind of going after and attacking Arya mm -hmm. because that's almost the exact same reaction that we see Loras have mm -hmm. upon Renly's death. Loras just goes out there and is like, wow, we're gonna yeah. kill everyone out here. It's, it's almost this idea that, you know, because isolation and grief, right, if you're not permitted 
access to those emotions. If you think that anger isn't an emotion or it's the only emotion you're allowed to have, that's the one that that manifests there. So I think there's something great too, like in the gender, like, you know, gender lines blur on gender constantly and war brings that out sometimes. Like people that explore that with war stories are great because when that's the only relationship you have, like you realize none of that fucking shit matters but survival. They survived in Heron Hall together. Like at that point, all norms in Westerosi society internally for them, why would they fucking matter if that's the person who protects you and loves you and cares about you? I'd kiss mm. him. Just saying, just a little right. or a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Finding, I don't know, company in hopeless times like uh like that one devastating episode of uh, The Last oh, of Us. Yup, I know what you're talking about. I've seen a lot of the scenes from it. From that episode specifically. Have you have you not watched? No, you, but I played. Unfortunately, I can't. Yeah, watch? it's not something I can okay. do. Thank you. It's not for me. I, I was just. Curious, I take us yeah, back to that yeah, one conversation cause... when I thought my friend wanted me to buy the Last of Us game, but he wanted me to buy um, Life is Strange. Mm-hmm. So I was confused, and then I played several hours <laughs> of the Last of Us, and I thought the whole time that my friend hated me. I was like, <laughs> Why did Dylan do this to me? Dylan no. hates me. He knows I hate horror. He knows I can't do jump oh scares. And then I realized, after building up this entire resentment in my head, that he had told a me different. to play not The Last of Us. Yeah, he told me to play Life is Strange, which, by the way, I'm playing and I yeah. love it. But besides the point, I forgave him in full for what he right. did to me. Just like a fully so. different game. Yeah. That he did this, though. I want you to make sure everyone heard that. He did this even for sure. though he didn't do it. Because he told me what to play. I just didn't read it. So anyways, I digress. I digress. I can't watch that shit, but right. I know what happened. I read about it. I keep up on pop culture, even if I can't watch you could, it. You could watch that one episode, I think. We'll see. So we'll see. We have another thought from Lowe. So thought number two from Lowe. Lowe agrees with what Eliana said a handful of chapters ago about Arya and gender and violence, that Arya really transcends gender by using violence being a warrior. This reminded Lowe of Leslie Feinberg's book, Transgender Warriors, Z describes Joan of Arc as an influence for the book and that Z started thinking, if society strictly mandates only men be warriors, isn't a woman military leader dressed in armor an example of cross-gendered expression? Previously, we've had Lowe analyzing Joan of Arc, whether on their blog or in our emails, against Brienne of Tarth. And similarly to Arya, Brienne kind of takes up that position as an honorable knight where Arya's a little more morally gray. Eliana had pointed out it's a balancing act. Arya needs to get out of a hard situation. Violence empowers her to do so, but it has a handful of negative side effects, right? In an article by Athena Nguyen, Patriarchy, Power, Female Masculinity, she discusses something similarly. Usually, Nguyen discusses butches in relation to patriarchy, but Lowe thinks it still applies. Butch women are sometimes accused of being complicit with patriarchy through their alignment with masculinity. Turf life feminists, in particular, have made some quite unfair accusations of this sort. What such critiques often miss is that butch women and other masculine women have the opportunity to detach masculinity from men, and as such, they pose a challenge to both the patriarchy and the sex binary. As Nguyen writes, The butch lesbian not only denaturalizes the connection between masculinity and men, but also denaturalizes masculinity itself. She makes masculinity appear queer. Female masculinity fucks with gender and in doing so contorts heterogender in such ways it fails to register as stable, set, or certain. This is the revolutionary potential female masculinity and gender nonconformity in general holds. 
Lowe goes on to comment, toxic masculinity can arise in masculine women, as well as men, and should be criticized, like intimate partner violence. On a larger scale, though, we see this in women who seize political power on the backs of marginalized people. You know, like Alma Coyne, District 13, looking at you. I'm sorry, that's a, that's a callback to our future Hunger Games episodes. We're back in 2013 on the side. I'm sorry. Real. <clears throat> Lowe also shares a quote from feminist scholars Cynthia Aruza and Titi Bhattacharya and Nancy Fraser criticizing female politicians in our world. Ooh, I love this, actually. This is a fun one. There's nothing feminist about ruling class women who do the dirty work of bombing other countries and sustaining regimes of apartheid, of backing neo-colonial interventions in the name of humanitarianism while remaining silent about the genocides perpetrated by their own governments, of expropriating defenseless populations through structural adjustment, imposed debt, forced austerity. In reality, women are the first victims of colonial occupation and war throughout the world. They face systemic harassment, political rape, and enslavement while enduring the murder and maiming of their loved ones and the destruction of the infrastructures that enabled them to provide for themselves and their families in the first place. We stand in solidarity with these women, not with warmongers in skirts who demand gender and sexual liberation for their kin alone, to the state bureaucrats and financial managers, both male and female, who purport to justify their warmongering by claiming to liberate brown and black women, we say not in our name. Loth thinks that becomes very important to think about, especially when it comes to various A Song of Ice and Fire characters who try to seize power from a disempowered situation. In Arya's story, she's trying to better her position, but she accidentally worsens the situation for the small folk around her, especially women, though she's a kid. We all forgive her for that. So, of course, to sum up, I mean, agreed, we do. I think we all jury, jury, gavel, gavel. To sum it up, Arya embodies masculinity in a form of gender nonconformity that has the potential to destabilize patriarchy and the gender binary by detaching masculinity from maleness. But masculinity, power, and violence can also be dangerous. Arya, as a noble person especially, has to be careful that striving to become empowered doesn't happen at the cost of marginalized people. And I really agree, right? Because it's not just Arya that has to worry about. I think that's someone, something that many of the POV characters have to worry about. True. I'm thinking a little bit about that, the thing about women in power who still commit atrocities. And I just wanted to put it out there that I'm like a Cersei Lannister equals Margaret Thatcher truther. Like So real. I, yeah, like Cersei's crazy. And it just makes me think a little bit about the show and how they framed Cersei as this like girl boss kind of character. And it's like, well, she's still certainly starving people to death and certainly inciting war and definitely not doing what's best for everyone but she does drink wine and look hot while doing it so on some level i forgive her yeah and then i also just wanted to put it out there that i am obsessed with leslie feinberg the book stone butch blues like changed my life and made me realize that it is possible to be like trans mask and a lesbian which is like something that i never thought was like a thing before because of like discourse but leslie feinberg is a brilliant author and a brilliant organizer and they will be missed i completely agree about cross-dressing being a form of gender nonconformity. i mentioned this in an email a while back about how people argue against aria and brienne being trans masked because they're like oh well they're just dressing up as a man because like that's like how they can be fighters in the world and that's like how they can 
achieve safety, and I would argue that that doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with being trans. But Lowe put it much more succinctly, so much respect. But yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that a character being trans mass doesn't have to cancel out a character dressing up as a man for their safety. Yeah. And, and Lowe's written so well about that too with Danny Flint, which I think comes in a lot with Arya's mm-hmm. plot. We see a lot of that, uh, and we'll probably link one of those below for you listening. If you haven't read it, please do check it out. It's some good work. Lo has that horrible habit right. of saying things so much better than I ever could have. How so. dare they? Horrible habit. They've got to cut it out. <laughs> how dare they? Yeah, and I and I really like this reminder, you know, of how, again, Arya embodying masculinity, and in general, right, people embodying, divorcing masculinity from patriarchal norms has this potential for liberation, but being mindful of how power, those power dynamics in general, and I, I hope no one thinks that, you know, I, I wasn't saying masculinity inherently bad and violent, but using the tools that reinforce patriarchy, you know, coming back to Lord, Audre Lord, of, you know, the the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And unfortunately, what Arya was doing made shit worse for some of those people. But I mean, she she's wanted to make things better. This is what she thought would make things better. And she's obviously constantly striving to do so. But she's a kid, also not real. We forget. Do you kill that little kid? She's Whatever, Arya. I forgive you. Yeah. And she was right for that. <laughs> right. I'm kidding. Yeah, she should. I mean, it was preservation. I, I th- probably like, would have stopped. Yeah. I probably would have stopped that kid too. What was she supposed or to you do? would like, be dead. Yeah. Into the kid. What was she Queen. supposed to do? Like, just say please. Do you think I would have died? I mean, I think you'd hesitate, <laughs> and you would have died, Eliana. Unfortunately, like Arya oh, did what had to dang. be done. No, I'm just kidding. I also really appreciate that wow. this is like. One of the only podcasts you probably have to um, specify if you're talking about Audre Lord, you know, writer, philosopher, uh, <laughs> civil rights <laughs> activist, like or laughing. Lord. Tor- that was why I was laughing. I'm sorry. I just wanted to put that out there. Oh no, it's okay. I'm like not noted oh, artist, Lord. Like, yeah, like- <laughs> civil rights activist, Audre Lord, not Lord. Pure heroine of musical not talent. 20, uh, speaking of 2013, uh, speaking of music. <laughs> Things from twenty three, Lord does do the song for it's either Hunger Games, the it's third or the yellow fourth flicker movie. beat. It's anyways, it's catching yeah. fire. But I don't I have time to go song, into this. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it a different time. We might have to do like several Hunger Games episodes for the first one. Anyways, we'll get to that. That could slay. <clears throat> Patreon episodes for twenty twenty four will only be yes. Hunger Games <laughs> themed, and we apologize for nothing. <laughs> See twenty thirteen. Uh, well. A big thank you to Lo for giving us this wonderful essay. And if you haven't already, you need to go check out Lo's new podcast, right? Ragnan's Harbor. They've put out a couple apps. They're working on some great podcasting over there. It, it's good. It's really good so far. You can hear Lo do this like all the time. I highly suggest it. Go follow them. Yes. All right. For those of you at home listening... I mean, Carm's not new to this. Carm has listened to the podcast. Carm knows a lightning love a round. Lightning Carm round. knows their way around a lightning round. I don't need to ask them that. Yeah, we love yeah. it. And this is like a baby one. I, I was actually kind of sad. I was like, damn, this is a baby one. Carm <laughs> deserves a bigger lightning round. But those of you at home, we're at the lightning round, which is the quick catch up between what you missed from Aria 3 in A Storm of Swords to Aria 4 A Storm of Swords. I am going to start us off. With Samwell 1, where sobbing at the Fist of the First Men, Sam must take another step. Tyrion 3. I'm sorry, I had to understand my Roman numerals there for a second. Tyrion 3. 
At the war council, titles and keeps are handed out to the loyal. Tyrion is told he will marry Sansa. Catelyn 3. Rob executes Lord Karstark for his betrayals and disloyalty. Jamie 3. Jamie gives the brave companions a hand. <laughs> that ah. one is crazy. <laughs> I'm out here. Ah. <laughs> you get it? Uh, right, because he does get do. he gets his hand cut off. Chop chop. Yeah. <laughs> and that brings us to A Storm of Swords, Arya 4. Back with the Brotherhood without banners, Arya meets the ghost of Highheart and a few other characters on the road. We start off with the Brotherhood seeking Beric at a village, where a dying wounded old knight, Lord Leicester, tells them of his battle against Sir Maynard on a bridge. Leicester took six wounds before he killed Maynard, which coincidentally, or not coincidentally, is the same amount of times that Beric has died and been brought back mm. so far. And while Beric's body and self has been irreversibly changed by death, I would argue that the old lord has also been irreversibly changed by age. However, one process is natural, and, right? And the other is an abomination. So I just thought that was a cool parallel there. And also, there is very like purposeful imagery of the red hair and black temper. It's very much Targ Blackfire mm. imagery. This seems like a summary of a lost Duncan Egg story to me. Yeah, it brought me to Mystery Night, right, with Quinton Ball, Fireball, and Damon Blackfire, and Maynard Plum, like, is really what it made me think about. A little bit of Sorn Sword, too, when it came to, like, that Blackfire versus Targaryen imagery. It's interesting that you compare it to Beric, because that's also Beric, right? The red hair, black temper is how he's described. It makes me think back Mm. to, like, Sansa 2 in A Game of Thrones at the tourney. Yeah, exactly, and... You you brought up Maynard Plum, but also, I don't know, something about Beric not dying, kind of dying, not dying, when hanging on the tree also makes me think of Odin from Norse mythology. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk of how Bloodraven has lots of Odin vibes, you know, tree shit, uh, but I don't know, just the thought of Beric hanging there kind of feels like that. And we also go over him losing an eye later in this chapter as well. Mm. Allegedly. Ooh. Rumors. Yeah, he had that sexy little eye patch in the show, too, you know? A little. He didn't look nearly dead enough in the show. He looked just, like, kind of roguish and handsome. Yeah, if he had been killed just a couple more times for my liking, maybe maybe a bit more for me, you know? That's the deader, the better. Right. Wow. You know who else would have looked better, deader, and in the show? Mm. But also kind of alive. Lady Stoneheart. LOL. Uh, that was a long trip, but we took that <laughs> with you. And John. <laughs> Next season, she's coming. She's yeah, season there. nine. Right. Yeah. I actually heard about that. <laughs> a maester is watching after them, and he tells the group once the knight falls asleep, the 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 dying knight here. Once he falls asleep, the maester tells them Beric was caught and hanged near the god's eye by the Lannisters, and they're too late. But Lem comments, ah, no, Thoros probably tore him down. He's a hard man to kill. The maester recommends they ask the Lady of the Leaves for more information, so off they head. Gendry wonders if the stone bridge they crossed to leave his lands is the bridge he fought on. And Tom of Seven Strings says, if there was a song, they'd know for sure who Sir Maynard was and why he wanted to cross that bridge so bad. You know who else wanted to cross a bridge really bad? Rob Stark. Ooh. Whoa. 
Yes, yes. Love that. Bad choice, too. Terrible choice. <laughs> and it ends up, you know, we, we start seeing more of what that meant in this chapter. And I don't know, this book. Yeah. yeah. I'm taken by, like, songs being the big theme this chapter, right? Stories and songs are very prominent throughout this chapter as we get all of these different characters coming to the front. If there was a song, we'd yeah. know it. We'd know what side fought where and etc. That's why we're making our Robert's Rebellion musical. Subscribe now on Patreon.com. So no one for a first will ever look. Forget. A first look. <laughs> I would bang. Every week we give you a new look <laughs> in this podcast. Camp isn't home, but isn't it kind of called Robert still? The ballad reprised theme that he would sing after killing Rhaegar would be crazy. Just some Gaston shit, oh, you know? Yeah. Wow, yeah. Could be Gaston. I thought I thought we were going like Frollo. Ooh. But uh, I mean I'm just Gaston. That's a little more for Stannis in the third act. You know what? Anyways, this is that's don't give true. away the story yet, guys. <laughs> God. <laughs> we have a line from the book. Poor old Leicester might be as far famed as the Dragon Knight if he'd only had sense enough to keep a singer. I think that this perfectly encapsulates the value that Tom adds to the Brotherhood. Without a singer to immortalize his feats in the legend of Beric, he isn't truly immortal. What good is the ability to come mm. back to life if he's doomed to irrelevance like poor old Leicester? Tom is essentially saying that what separates Beric from Leicester isn't just the ability to come back to life, it's more than that. It is the legend. And Thomas Evans does, he's there to impart that legend upon the people. I, I really like you calling that out. And I mean, that's true, right? Some people are chasing that as their form of immortality. We see a bunch of like the, you know, young squires and knights and men being like, we're going to go for glory. They're going to make a song about us. And then they find out like, oh, wait, no, that that fucking sucks. Dying sounds like it yeah. fucking sucks. But maybe for some of them, that's living forever. Or even Tywin, who's like, that's my legacy. But it also goes to show like the importance of oral traditions and oral histories, which have been largely kind of devalued in a lot of like Western society, a lot of Western like historians as a for a long time as like a valid form of historical preservation. But that's where the stories live. That's where the culture lives. And that's also the way that a lot of people remember like, hey, that's that's important to our culture and society because of X things. And it gets passed down through community. Precisely. We have another line from the book from Lem. <clears throat> Let me get into character. Lord Leicester's sons died in Robert's Rebellion. Some on one side, some on the other. He's not been right in the head since. No bloody songs like to help any of that. <clears throat> End scene. This isn't directly related to the quote, but I wanted to bring up that right after this quote is the first time that Arya herself is actually even mentioned in this chapter. We read about 11 characters before the POV character comes up at all. But we hear about Lord Leicester, Maynard, the Maester, Beric, Thoros, Lem, the Lady of the Leaves, Greenbeard, Gendry, Jack B. Lucky, and Tom Sevenstrings before we even get Arya's name. And this happens a lot in Arya's chapters, and I think that it really, like, effectively adds to the sense of a loss of identity in her arc. Like, she is very much Arya underfoot in all of her chapters. Mmm. Becomes less about her and more about everyone else. Yeah. Even to feast in becoming no one. Right. That is really interesting. I haven't noticed that, and I'm going to keep an eye out now for that as we go forward in the Arya chapters, because 
Yeah, I haven't I haven't noticed it and as you said, right, speaks to her arc of becoming no one, but also if it's more about all the other things like that, you know, gathering intel stuff, but also even like, you know, she found out the past few chapters, she's like, wow, maybe being Arya isn't enough. You know, being Arya is still isn't going to get me anything I want. It's not going to connect me to the people I love because turns out being Arya is a yeah. liability too. It's so unfortunate. She makes me so sad. Yeah. Yeah, these are sad chapters. <laughs> Also, Lem talking about the sons fighting on each side of the war makes me think of the lords in current times that try and play both sides of the field on purpose. Mm. Like, they'll send a son to go fight for Stannis and then another son to go fight for Renly. And I think it's pretty cool to get an inside look at the potential turmoil of their future, even though the, um, they're trying to, like, they're trying to seize power through this, but it's it's interesting to see that how that's going to turn out isn't going to work out in their favor. Especially because it always is like, I feel like the the lower houses, it's never the great noble houses that have to make that choice quite obviously because they're the ones waging the wars, but it's these lower houses that can get away with it because who's going to track whether like a very tiny house is sending three sons. And this is like, this is a technique I've played with in Crusader Ooh. Kings 3, a Game of Thrones mod, and CK2, a Game of Thrones mod before. <laughs> so like, I'm not new to this idea of, you know, putting a little in each pot and hoping one of the pots boils but the bad news is like you lose the other pots quite obviously that's just what happens like we see that right with uh upcoming for fire and blood or for house of the dragon eric and Arik, right who end up as kingsguard members split across two warring factions and it leads to great tragedy it's very sad heartbreaking even so sad my brothers my poor sad brothers i don't have any so i just gotta adapt the ones i can find Right, you, know. you guys are both only siblings, yeah. only t- or only children. Yeah, exactly. We're <laughs> yeah. sister wives. You got it. You figured it out. Yes, exactly. Yes, no, yes. We are uh, only and eldest children. I'm, I'm the, I'm the eldest. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being like, you know, yeah, I don't know. Your parents just using you as pawns and being like, I don't know, one of you is gonna die. Just gambling and be like, oh shit, oh shit, how's it gonna turn out? But uh, it's cold. There it goes. You were talking about. Something about Lord Leicester feeling very Duncan Eggy. Yeah. And earlier, you know, Chloe talked about the mystery night. And for me, it actually kind of reminds me a little of the Sworn Sword and Lord Osgrey, right? Losing all his kids. And, you know, they're talking about like songs in history here. And there's this like lionizing of Lord Leicester, right? And the glory of him at this bridge and protecting it against Sir Maynard but he doesn't even remember that he lost his sons. I mean maybe he does and just doesn't talk about it but the other people do and it makes me think of like Catelyn being like Rob I don't care if you if you win like let's do we even need to keep fighting this war I just want like what does it all matter if you die? I don't give a fuck if you die. She just wants her family whole and alive whereas for Leicester the winning mattered to him I guess and and the glory the status. So that's all he remembers now in his old age and he's forgetting the people that he loved and I don't know, maybe that's also kind of death in a way. He made it to this old age but still killed a part of himself. The one that's hurting by forgetting his loved ones, he's just ripped that part out of himself so as to not have to deal with it and in a way it also mirrors then Beric's memory loss which comes from dying over and over again. He doesn't remember. He's like, I think I was betrothed, maybe. 
but like also to Davos losing his four sons at the start of this book, right? Like there's all these mirrors of loss when it comes to losing your children. And I guess that happens to Catelyn too, now that I think about it, aka Lady Stoneheart. But really, again, hammers home this line I come back to like constantly of Miri Ma's Dorsing, look to your call and see what life is worth when all the rest is gone. And all the rest isn't, you know, status, the titles, it's the people you love. Yeah, that's beautiful. Also, I never really like it was just really beautiful. Thanks, Aliana. Um, <laughs> thanks for being you. But also that line from Miri merely it echoes when you think about mm-hmm. the long night, right? Like see what life is worth when all the rest are gone or when they've become what they've become. And Yes. That that yes. really to me, I'm like, ooh, long night. Think of that. <laughs> also Or Barrick. Or Barrick, yeah. I also want to point out interesting that Lem knows so much about Lord Leicester and deaths in Robert's Rebellion because, you know, he probably fought in that war very closely on a side as he was very prominent in Brand 2, A Storm of Swords. Oh, right. As the Knight of Kisses, drinking with his buddy Robert. Uh, Just interesting to me, one of the King's men here that uh, very much remembers him. Do you think him and Robert ever explored each other's bodies? Maybe. Yeah. Robert would never say, but like, did he slip a pinky in? Probably. I'm just saying. I'm like deeply imagining it now. I'm like, interesting. I mean, he's called the Nine of Kisses. I don't know. Just a little. Right. Kissing something. Right. Just a little pucker. Uh, oh, so, the yeah. Lemon. Yeah, that's the lemon right. is the puckering of the. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting thoughts. Thanks for sharing them, you two. Uh, I'm glad we got to the ultimate part of that, which came to um, room jobs? Yeah, about. Whatever we want to chalk that up to, but yeah, about. Yeah, about. I don't know. It's just very much to me. I'm like, that's Richard Lonmouth. It's very hard for me to say it's anyone else. So I'm just going to point it out from now on. And I was like, oh, that's Richard Lonmouth. That's another fact on the Lonmouth. Because like, how does he know that? How does he know that? Yeah. I know how. I know what you are, Richard. Yeah, there wouldn't really be any other reason. No. Come on, George. Come on, Germ. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. He's there. That's his oral history. <laughs> Not in that <laughs> way. I'm sorry. I meant, I meant it actually very literally. I meant it very literally. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you meant it the oral way. <gasps> I, I'm just so funny, even when I don't mean to be. So, listen. Um, three days later, this entire group... <laughs> Reaches a hidden village where the Lady of the Leaves lives, a stick-thin, white-haired woman in rough spun that seems very sick. She tells them Barrick's dead, but Lem once more says, nope, he is not so easy to kill. That's a little overkill, I would say. We get it, George. We get it. He's coming back. But the woman's overjoyed to hear that. She's clutching Lem's arms and saying, may the warrior defend him and the red priest too. Okay, new hot take. Have It's semantics, but have we considered that like Beric is in fact actually very easy to kill? Skill issue. Hmm. It's a skill yeah. issue. Yeah. If he has to keep coming back, I mean, he's yeah, clearly is, like, very 19? easy to kill. That's like, all. He's like, he's, he's young. <laughs> I'm older yeah. than Beric Dondarrion. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm not. Step it up, Beric. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. We 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 just got our voting licenses. Our voters ID. I don't even know what it's called. That's how much you know And I can't even vote in Westeros. It's such bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Beric is pretty easy to kill. He's always dying. 
But the whole chapter, to me, totally adds to the legend of Beric. It reads like a fable or like a D&D campaign. Yeah, like every other paragraph is like three days later, the next morning, like a day passed. It like the whole chapter takes place over a total of like eight days, I think. But it's it's mm-hmm. like a D&D campaign in the sense that like we get to see all these like quirky villages and communities both above and below the Riverlands. Like we get the underground community and the tree community. We meet these like crazy outlandish characters and the party members undertaking a quest to find their mysterious lord. Can you tell I'm binging Baldur's Gate? I actually was thinking exactly of like the, yeah. the first like plot in Baldur's Gate three when you were describing this campaign just now. I was like, yeah, yeah. And then you said Mysterious Lord and then Bald- I was like, yes. Finding Halson. I haven't I haven't advanced and I'm sorry, we're so off topic. I, because Fair. like the game turns out triggers all of my anxiety. I love it. Of decision making. And I'm like, am I in character enough? Do I if the I'm actually I'm playing as Arya. I'm playing as non-binary. Oh, I'm playing as non-binary hmm, rogue wood elf Arya, and I'm making all of the decisions the way that Arya would make the decisions. Oh, that's kind of cool. Makes sense because then you can you can uh, do the nature things and talk with animals and shit, right? Yeah, yeah, it's neat. Nice, nice. I think Arya. I mean, I, I was gonna say I think Arya could have navigated that situation, but Arya also navigates this one, so yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I also wanted to say that the village up in the trees remind. I don't know if you guys. I know that you guys have, but our the, the listeners, if you've seen Avatar: The Last <laughs> Airbender, yeah, um, this is exactly like Jet, yeah, Jet and his community. So cool. Oh, I, I love that because that little plot is so Arya coded. Yeah, like oh, they're yeah. like vigilantes, and it like really. It's. I remember being like eight, watching that, and being like, "Oh my god, what do I stand for?" because <laughs> it was just so, like aria right it was just like so like i guess not everyone in the fire nation is a bad person crazy whoa yeah i mean actually yeah they do a really good job in that show of showing i mean that that there's a diversity of people who live in all these circumstances yeah which is also here in Athla. yeah and that's so um, aria too right like that part like yeah. learning that just because someone lives somewhere they're not bad Exactly. Just like Ed Sheeran. Huh. Thank God Ed Sheeran <laughs> taught us that lesson. The true uh, ghost of Christmas red-haired, past. With I'm red hair and this. a black temper. Oh my God, I, Quentin Ball. My fa- my favorite thing that I I showed my old roommate Game of Thrones, and when we were watching it, they didn't know anything about it, and I convinced them that Ed Sheeran was going to be a major recurring <laughs> character in season seven. They were like, Ed Sheeran came on, and they were like, wait, are we going to like see more of him i was like yeah like unfortunately like he's like he's like a main character in this season and they were like no and i was like yeah like he's like he's here a lot oh you pranked their asses you got them my next point is that i was at first very like reading this for the first time i was deeply confused about the character the lady of the leaves because we already in the the very same chapter just a few pages later we have another tree lady in the same, you know, same chapter, and this Lady of the Leaves really just gives us information we could have easily gotten from anyone. But I think, like, I figured it out, I think by giving this role to this cryptic tree woman, Germ kind of, George kind of furthers <laughs> this D&D feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it works much better and more effectively than it would be if he just, like, gave it to a random villager. I think that, like, creating this entire environment just for us to learn 
where Beric might be is a, a very smart choice. Yeah, I I like the way that you described Lady of the Leaves as basically a fancy NPC character. I'm going to make a very embarrassing admission. I low-key forgot about her until rereading this chapter. Yeah. And the way you described her makes perfect sense now. She doesn't do much, yeah. I love, though, the implication like that she's actually like keeping a group of peoples together and safe, even if they're not strong enough to be out there fighting and on the front line of what's happening in the Riverlands. Like, Because she's described as sickly. She's described as wayfish, kind of, and sickly, and she's got gray hair long, and she's really grateful to the Brotherhood for showing up. But also, like, she's somehow holding it together because we get this great scene of, like, them emerging from the trees. And we learn there's, like, a maze of rope walkways going on there. Like, this is a whole group of people that have found a way to survive through the war. And and, uh, last chapter, Eliana, if you remember... Jack be lucky blows that horn we talked about and you mentioned we we mentioned a couple things I said it was kind of like almost reanimation of others and you were like I was thinking it was like coming to life and language is similar to the children of the forest right like coming to life in the trees and here they're very much doing that right like they're described as using the trees for hiding and shelter but they have that maze of the rope walkways and it makes me think about the south how what we know about the south is all the weirwoods not all of the Weirwoods, but a large majority of the Weirwoods have been cut down. I mean, even Ghost of High Heart, not here, but later we get her with all the stumps everywhere. Uh, they've been cut down. Yeah. Which kind of implies that whenever it did happen, you'd think that the children of the forest were kind of refugees in the South. I mean, there's an implication in the story going on about that. And here, these people that we meet up in these trees are also refugees of this war, left to wander, left to survive, and the Brotherhood is trying to do what they can to help them. Yeah, they've they've been displaced from their homes and are yeah living in the trees. And I, I like the comparison to the tree town in, in Avatar, because for me, I was like, oh, yeah, it's just like in Donkey Kong. But that's <laughs> not the story of Donkey Kong at all. Kind of is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. But yeah, great, great connections with last chapter as well. They are taking shelter under a scorched sept the next night in a village called Sally Dance, which is honestly top, top names that George has ever come up with in anything in these books and for a place. I don't even get it. Sally Dance. The windows of the sept broken, the aged septon who greets them says that thieves took the mother's costly robes, the crone's gilded lantern, and the silver crown that the father had worn. They also... Uh, gave the maiden like a mastectomy on the wooden statue and pried out her eyes, which were jet and lapis and mother of pearl. This makes me think about the seps that we see that are much more like bare bones. And I wonder if mm. this restraint in those seps is to avoid raids like these. It makes me think a lot about the sept that Catelyn visits in A Clash of Kings, for example, mm. which also has its home in a small village like Sally Dance is also a very small village, but the seven gods in this one are represented by charcoal drawings instead of like elaborate jeweled statues. I googled Sally Dance because I was curious about why they may might have like decorated their sept so much. Nothing came up except for that this village got raided by Aemond Targaryen during the Dance of the Dragons and then again by the Northmen in the War of the Five Kings. So Sally Dance is kind of going through it. Yeah, it, it makes me think a bit of Clash of Kings, right? With the, the Riot of Kings landing in the Septon, the High Septon getting his crown stolen off him as they murder him. 
and definitely about George shoving in our faces that decadence, that unneeded and unnecessary decadence in war being punished, being stabbed or whatever. And obviously very akin to real world where, you know, these are not real things. People are wrapped up in superstitions that buildings or material that does not have a heartbeat or breath, that it's not a real thing. You know, people get a little confused about that. Like the Apple store, if you see an Apple store and its windows are cracked, you know, because somebody hit them, you shouldn't feel sad for the building. It is just a building. Yep. It will grow back thanks to capitalism. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of a little not at this, right? Because here at Sally Dance, this sept has more riches than the people of Sally Dance have. And I'm not saying like your gods shouldn't be beautiful, whatever. But there's a lot of like reminiscing on Danny and Viserys fleeing, selling a crown to live on the run, right? Or Rhaenyra selling her crown to stay alive, to have food. Like what is a beautiful carving of a god with pearl in it? What is that when you can't feed your people? Why, why is that number one when you can't even keep your people safe from war? And it's that symbolic destruction of the sept, right? The people are starving. They're hungry. The gods aren't saving them. Praying to the gods aren't saving them. Praying to a pearl-eyed god isn't saving them. Praying to a diamond-eyed god isn't saving them. The wares that the gods wear could save them. They could feed them. But these wooden statues of riches don't give a shit about the small folk, and neither do the people that are doing the war. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it kind of means something different to me, knowing that, like, a allegedly it was Northmen who did it and not the people of this town who benefited from, you know, mm -hmm. selling their wares because this is something they as a town chose this as something that they wanted to maybe invest in. This is something that mattered to them culturally, yeah. their religion. And like I think of, you know, the desecration of religious sites and warfare. And sometimes I'm just like, dang, it's fucked up and things like that. And also people's religious artifacts when it comes to preservation of culture. So I, I see that, you know, on one hand, it, as you said, it's a symbolic destruction. It's showing how, like, the people are starving. Like, what does this matter? But at the same time, I'm also like, dang, it's fucked up of those Northmen to do. But I also mean, like, what are the Tullys doing? To these people. Like, about it. That's their people. Yeah. That's what I mean. I, I, agree, I agree. Like, I think, like, it's fucked up the Northmen did that. And obviously, it's really the Karstarks, right? Like, we know it's coming after the Rob betrayal, but also, what are the Tullys doing? They're supporting this war and also not guarding their people. Except for Edmure. Edmure would have been like, tried. Well, let's not yeah, do that. Edmure tried. Edmure would have been like, let's not Edmure do that. Edmure on the case. Yeah. <laughs> we were Edmure apologists. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though. Like, where's the... No one gives a shit. The Tullys don't care. They're busy fighting Rob's war because that's the bigger picture. So unfortunate. I don't care about the Apple store, Eliana, is all I'm they saying. Yeah, I mean, Rob doesn't even care about his sister, so... Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, ahead. like, the, the Tullys and most of the lords, they only care when their small folk get raided if they're getting raided by their political enemies. Yeah. Like, they don't care yeah. if they're getting raided by their own people. They're like, oops, that was a mistake. Damn, Catalan, you fucked up, but oh well, we'll move on. Yeah. I don't know, that's more what I mean. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I do think that communities should have culture and they should have their own things they care about including like if they believe in this religion and they want to protect that that's great but also i'm just like damn your boar's lost rob what are you doing right. buddy look at the people you're supposed to protect them king of the fucking riverlands 
Yeah, and as you as you said, right, it's meant to kind of symbolize how depraved everything's become. Yeah. And how no one's protecting them. Because I'm like, I mean, I, I look at this and I'm like, George, what was the point of this detail of they cut off they cut off the maiden's boobs? Yeah, that was a very <laughs> pretty Maris, right? Detail? Yeah. Very pretty Maris. Yeah, I was thinking that Oh yeah. It, it's what Biter threatens too with Brianna. Yeah. I was in a D D campaign where this happened. Um To you? Not not to any uh, no, no 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 to I don't know. It it was a it was a bizarre campaign. Uh-huh. We had a lot of fun. That doesn't reassure anyone. No, I'm I'm a little Anyways. worried about what goes on in D and D too. I'm gonna need you to dispel it through the rest of the thing. You know, I'm like I'm worried about your tits, but we can move on. It's just DIY top surgery. <laughs> exactly. That's what D and D's all about. Need. So Arya feels ashamed, angry, and feels Gendry looking at her. A dozen men are living beneath the sept, but they have no word of Beric either. <sighs> They have a decoy leader amongst them. This also happened in that, anyways. Dressed in soot black armor and a lightning sigil on his cloak. And Greenbeard tells Arya, The lightning lord is everywhere and nowhere, skinny squirrel. Unhelpful. Arya represent. Arya responds like, Whatever, I'm almost a woman. I'm gonna be 10 and 1 years old. Just a baby! Just a baby. She also just turned 10, I'm pretty sure. Like at the beginning of this book. And Greenbeard's obvious very normal response to that is best watch out i don't marry you and then tries to tickle her under her chin yeah yikes that's um that's like a great like that's a creepy uncle line that's like a damon tar- <laughs> just kidding um best watch out i don't marry you like gr- that's a threat first of all marriage is very important in these parts Greenbeard, what if i beat you up what then this man should be on dateline yeah yeah. Like, ew. <laughs> Leave her be. Very weird. She's way out very of your weird, league. Uh, in several ways. Very uh strange behavior. He's just very, uh, uh, for a noble match, I'm just saying, he's a noble match he does not make. You get a, you could get a better matrilineal marriage for her besides Greenbeard. Yeah. That's all. For sure. Hashtag unsafe. So. That night, Lemon Gendry play at Tiles with their host while Tom sings a song about Big Belly Ben the High Septon's Goose. Angai lets Arya play with his longbow, but she can't handle its size. What the fuck is going on here? He says maybe at River Run he can make her one. What the fuck is going on in this line? I d- you're the one that made it that way. I didn't think it was that way, but after coming from the Greenbeard discussion, I was like, what is happening here? I know, I saw that in the notes, and I was like, uh, oh. It's not like that in the books. I'm an Angai enjoyer first and a human being second. He was the first minor character I was, like, obsessed with. Yeah. Please elaborate. Please elaborate Literally, why, just because how. Of the, the, the guy in the show, I just thought he was so charming and, like, neat. I just love the scene when he's, like, teaching Arya how to shoot the bow. I'm like, he isn't, like, patronizing her. He isn't condescending her. He's just literally teaching her how to do it. And I also love that when she hears riders in the distance, he, like, takes it from her, like, to protect her i don't know i just think he's like and i think he's like witty they Mm. definitely like merged a bunch of the brotherhood characters into angai in the show but i just think he's cool also like he won that tournament and spent it all in like a week sigma male (laughs) sigma male grind set yeah (laughs) i respect that i mean that's like what drew me to you as a person when i knew that about you like when you would post about it i was like who the fuck (laughs) else likes angai like you so yeah Angai was my gateway drug to Karn, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so I respect that. 
I like that he's like, isn't he like a little redhead too? Yeah, he's a little ginger. He's yeah. just a little like stocky ginger, and he's like, I'm just like shooting arrows, bro. I'm shooting arrows, bro. I'm shooting arrows. Exactly. And he's like, in Dorne, I used to eat this great ass food. Yeah. And then I I like the geographical nature of it because yeah. Something interesting is like you have Beric, who's a marcher lord. Yes. Right. And he's engaged mm. to Illyria Dane. A long time ago, I wrote some mini theory that like they probably got engaged because the marcher lords are always fighting with the Dornish. Yeah. Especially with the stone Dornish, especially like through the Ironwoods area right there. Yeah. Like that's like an easy like bloop. We're here to fight through the stone way. So yeah. I just like could see where that would broker a good piece to make sure that like they keep the marcher lords under wraps. No Vulture King shit going on. You know, I, I think it all makes sense. I think that's where you get, like, why Illyria and him were engaged. Uh, Illyria being the youngest daughter of the Danes during the Rebellion era. Ashara's younger sister. She was engaged probably around, like, four to, like, eight. For those of you listening at home that aren't keeping up with the Dane lore. You know, I expect more of you, but I think you can do it. Not bad. I think you all can do it. But... Yeah, that, that's who Beric was engaged to that we'll get into throughout the episodes in the future. But I love that, like, Angai being from Dorne, that makes sense why he's in that group. That makes sense why he would come and, like, maybe join Beric, like, why he would have explored Dorne. I don't know. I like the geographical finding the people from the area supporting the cause and understanding it. Yeah. Like, Lawnmouth, Stormlands, like, also would support Dondarian. Yup. I mean, Lemon Cloak. House, house Lemon Cloak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like what you're saying about also why why Angai stood out to you and why you like him so much. It actually makes me think then it's because like he's got kind of John vibes. Mm. He's like maybe you just need a smaller bow. We'll we'll just make a bow that like yeah. fits you, which I don't think we have time for in this series. But whatever. <laughs> Sorry, Arya, you're just not gonna get to put any stats into I don't know ranged weapons learning. Yeah, into range weapons. You just don't specialize in it. I'm sorry. I think she'd be great at it. Maybe with the right size, but we just, yeah. I don't know. She's she's She just never, it never drops. It's never an item drop for her. Arya's like me. She's got a lot of hobbies. Yeah, she needs to pick some. Yeah. Murder needs to move down the list a little is all. Deprioritize. Right. <laughs> just start. Sh- no, prioritize, prioritize. Just sh- like shoot oh. targets. <laughs> so... Tom overhears this entire conversation and tells them off. And he's like, if we go to River Run, it'll be for the ransom, not to sit around playing at making bows. Lord Hoster was hanging out laws before Angai was even shaving. Exactly. So real. He's so young, so small. And then he says, and that son of his, a man who hates music can't be trusted, I always say. Lem says, it's not music he hates, it's you, fool. And we get this famous backstory here. Behind the Edmure and Tom of Seven's feud. Edmure once had a woman that was interested enough in him, uh, but he got too drunk and could not perform the duty he wished to perform in the bedroom. And Tom decided to do the right thing, which is to make a song about it. So, of course, he created the world's biggest banger, the Floppy Fish. I will link a, uh, a very beautiful video for you all. I got to send it to Eliana of one of my good buddies, doing his own Tom of Seven's floppy fish song. It's pretty good. It's uh, from a from a Ice and Fire Con a handful of years ago where he performed it. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You got to listen to it, though. The world's best banger, floppy fish. Bars. So it, it's it's real. You'll love it. It's got... Did you watch... You watched the first episode or so of Insecure, right? Yes. You said yes, I'm on season two. It's got Broken Pussy. Broken Pussy energy. energy. Yes, yes. Broken Pussy. 
Jesus Christ. So good. I'm on season two finally. I'm very into it. Nice. Yes. I need to watch it. Oh, it's good. Issa Rae I, is I love it. Everything. One of my favorite shows. Issa Rae's everything. Top five. Yeah. It's just her internal monologue, the whole show is like real. Yeah. It's real. I'll check. So Arya doesn't have any clue about fish, right? About floppy fish. She's like, I don't know what this means. Because <laughs> she's 10. And she's like, what's the whole ransom thing about? Harwin's like, well, we have needs like horses and armor, sword, shield, spears, seeds, all this stuff, you know, seeds, especially winter's coming. And she knows, you know, winter's coming. Those are her words. And then he says, this isn't the first highborn captive we've ransomed, nor will you be the last, basically. She thinks knights were captured and ransomed all the time and sometimes women, too. But what if Rob won't pay their price? She wasn't a famous knight. And kings were supposed to put the realm before their sisters. And her lady mother, what would she say? Would she still want her back after all the things she'd done? Arya chewed her lip and wondered. <laughs> Ow. Oh, Arya. Baby girl, baby girl, no. She makes me so sad. Um, it is not lost on me that in moments like these of relative calm, gender thoughts and turmoil begin to creep in for Arya. We see this a little bit with the best mm. watch out I don't marry you comment and how she's like, I'm going to be a woman grown soon. And with her fears here about her mother not accepting her. It is written here that she's worried she won't be accepted due to the things that she's done. But I would argue that a big part of it is also... Like, not really the acts themselves, but because they aren't befitting of a highborn lady, something that Arya is acutely aware of. Part of it is she's like, oh, I've done bad things, but I think a big part of it is also they wouldn't want me doing these things because I'm not a boy. So when her life isn't mm. being threatened and she isn't starving because preservation is priority number one for our bodies, the secondary inner conflict has room to, like, really take over her consciousness. And we see that more and more and more this chapter. Yeah, the last Catelyn chapter, right, is literally Rob killing Lord Karstark in a ceremony because he's expected to. Yes. Because that's what he's supposed to do as the king. Yes. He's supposed to kill people that betrayed him. Although they did it because of their hurt, their grief, and although as they justified, well, they're the enemy, we should be killing the enemy, you've been telling us, kill the enemy, Rob had to do it to make the point. Yeah. So Arya doing it is frowned upon. I just, I also would argue that a lot of the, the, the killings that Arya does, obviously, you know, not great. A child murdering people, bad. Just general disclaimer. Um, disclaimer, yeah. But I would argue that she has some of the more justifiable killings in the series. She kills that little boy because he's like yeah. about to tell on her. You know, the stakes there are huge. He would send her to Queen Cersei if she didn't do that. And then also, like, she kills people at Harrenhal to escape. Like, she kills that guard at Harrenhal to escape. And she works with Jacken to kill these other people at Harrenhal because they're acutely threatening the safety of herself and others. Obviously terrible, but I think that, that there's more reason to that than Rob killing someone to make a point. And, like, I get why he had to do it. But when you look at it, like, just objectively strip away all the, mm -hmm. like, societal context, I guess, killing someone so that they don't kill you is more justifiable than killing someone to make a point. It's the same reason Ned was killed. Yep. On a stage in front of everybody. Rob killed Lord Karstark for that same purpose that Ned was killed by Joffrey, that someone whispers in his ear and says, if you don't kill him, you're not strong and people won't support you anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's the same reason in the yeah. end. 
uh, it, it's it's the system that has the issue. Like it's a feature, not a bug, yeah. you know, <laughs> of the system. And yeah, I, and I like that you brought back up Catalan, right? And Arya's fear mm-hmm. of her mother in that way, and like that. There's a lot of tension between them of what Catelyn expected her daughters to be, just like the expectations that were set upon Catelyn and what her daughters have each done. I mean, I can understand that fear completely. Yeah. It would be scary to live up to that. That is a, uh, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I really like what you said of, it's not necessarily that, I mean, yes, it is bad. And as you said, like, it is bad for kids to kill people, <laughs> but like, it's not necessarily seen as inherently bad all the time in Westerosi society, depending, like, and the gendered aspect, it makes me think of this essay that Noah, who joined us for the Sam Tarly Love. chapters, yes. wrote of um called Don't Look Away, and the performance of, like, violence as being part of Westerosi masculinity of saying, you know, like, a, one of the lines is, like, this violence is predicated on the enforcing of a masculinist and classist paradigm of war that results in a thoroughly gendered horror and it speaks to i think you used the term earlier regarding barrack and what's happening you know with barrack as like an abomination but like this idea i'm thinking of like these gendered outlaws and people might see mm. you know is Arya feeling that people would see her as right. an abomination for crossing those lines no exactly how like ghost to high heart that we meet in this chapter is kind of an abomination for that in some ways right like being like between the yeah. lines in a way like a lot of the people that Arya meets are othered in certain ways yeah yeah that all being a you know maybe child of the forest i mean the way that Tyrion's character is seen as like an abomination by like yes. his family and much of society because of his body but also beyond that the ghost of high heart also being like Whoa, can't believe we're listening to old women. <laughs> Crones. <laughs> How dare anyone be, like, older. IRL, um, IRL. But, yeah, right? Um, New Crones live now in your area. <laughs> hot, hot, uh, hot, crones. hot crones. 1-800-CALL-THE-SEVEN. It sounds like a food, like hot scones Ooh, or well, something. Don't bring food up. I, I'm hungry. I don't know. do it. Same. There's also, like, I don't know, Arya wondering if Rob ransoming for her. It makes me think of, like, John wondering, is Rob gonna accept me if I, like, run away from the Night's Watch and then go join, which is also a thing mm-hmm. you should not do. And, you know, beyond the, also even the parts of Arya wondering if she'll be accepted for doing things that aren't befitting of a highborn lady. You know, we discussed last chapter how Arya never really gets to mm-hmm. feel like herself mm-hmm. as Arya of Winterfell. I think Arya's, like, not wrong to think that depending on the price of her ransom, like, her family really just might not fucking ransom for her. And not just because of her actions, solely, yeah, because of being born as, like, a highborn girl slash lady. And maybe maybe they'll accept her, but, like, would they think the cost was worth it considering how Rob's like, I don't know, I just think that price is too high to pay for Sansa and maybe even Arya if it is a bundle deal, yeah. which we're really not sure of in that discussion with Kat. They're like, he's like, I'm, I can't, I just can't fucking trade Jamie for them. I'm sorry, she's not worth enough. And so Arya's not wrong to think that, especially when she's, like, King's aren't supposed to put kings were supposed to put the realm before their sisters because again exactly what we see rob do arguably what stannis is saying he has to do in this book but with his nephew he's like i i'm sorry davos i just got to kill the little boy it's whatever i hate my brother anyway um but i love him and 
also probably what he's going to do to his daughter later on, you know, other highborn girl slash lady and maybe considered by some an abomination also. And then you contrast that with Jon Snow, who's like secretly maybe an heir, also maybe a king, according to some, depending on which reader you speak to and how we're interpreting things. And his literal job description says you don't have sisters anymore. And he comes up with a fancy wordplay to be like, you guys, we have to go save my sister that he doesn't know is not his sister. But he thinks it's Arya and he's like, fuck it. I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to risk my job. I'm going to risk these people's lives. We're going to go get my sister back, even though maybe she's married, but not. I don't know. And like, it really shows no wonder Arya loves Jon so much. Because if Jon were the king making the decision, do we ransom whatever for Arya? He'd be like, fuck yeah. Aww. Yeah. Give it all. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. We know that to and be I true literally twice. Exactly. Actually, multiple times. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, you know, she's got this story that's this universal story of what it means to be a child of wondering, am I going to be loved? Am I going to be accepted? This desire for unconditional love, especially, which I think is a big theme that the story is exploring. It's something that I think comes up a lot in Tyrion's storyline, especially. And it's interesting because, you know, if you think about it, this war really kind of started because his dad was like, I'm not going to let him be captive. Fuck that. Which surprised Tyrion a little bit, but turns out it wasn't because like of unconditional love. The love is very conditional as we see at the end of this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because poor Tyrion, but, it's like, it yeah. was for the image. It's all for the image. Might I also just add, Sansa Stark is worth one million Jamie Lannisters. And I, I say this affectionately. Um, I'm a Jamie enjoyer, but Sansa objected. I would trade him 1,000 times over and again for Sansa. Yeah. I think that's the choice that Rob should have made. I get it. Like, I get why he didn't, but it's still like, come on. Because men, masculinity, like, should have been like, we have to keep him. And then Karstark being like, we got to kill him. We can't trade him. And he's like, I can't do it. Glory. Poor Rob. You know. I'm going to clip that and listen to it every night before bed, what oh. you just said, Carl. <laughs> I really enjoyed what, it. Thank you. She's worth a million Jamie Lannisters. It's just... <laughs> oh. Somewhere is... So, someone is really mad at me out there somewhere. And that's how you know you're doing something so. great, you know? That's how you know you've stumbled upon greatness. And I love Jamie. I get it. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. You know? I think people who like Jamie even acknowledge that, like, that was kind of shitty. Yeah, I like Jamie. Want to trade for your sister? I like Jamie in the way that, like, I want to break his nose, <laughs> and like, I want to, I want to steal his lunch money. Oh yeah, put him in a locker yeah. if you could, but you can't, so you just try anyway. Yeah, mm. he would probably do that to you, actually, or me, yeah. or Eliana. That's fair. Yeah. Damn. Well, you know, they ride to High Heart the next day. <laughs> It's a lofty hill with a beautiful ring of huge pale stumps around it. A circle of what was once a mighty, mighty circle of weirwoods. Arya and Gendry count 31 stumps. It's a lot of fucking mana just sitting on the ground. Some are wide, <laughs> right? Some are so wide they could sleep on them. Oh, that's going to happen to someone. That's crazy. With a dream or yeah. two. Yeah. This is described, it's very similar to, like, the Fist of the First Men. Mm-hmm. Mm. The ring. You're right. It is. I can't explain my mind. I was just thinking of Baskin-Robbins, because yeah. they said 31 stomps. I was like, what does 31 mean? I was like, 31 flavors. 
that's it. That's all I had for, for everyone. Maybe there will be 31 Weirwood dreams in oh. all of A Song of... Whoa. I mean, probably less, but that'd be probably. cool. Mm? 531 flavors of dreams. dreams a minute. Oh. Rainbow sherbet dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daiquiri ice cream dream. Hire her. Hire. Actually, naming the ice creams would be such a fun job. No, that would rock. I would. I would love that shit. I think the pressure would get to Rocky me. Rocky Road dream. Yeah, hire me. CV it. <sighs> we have a passage about High Heart. High Heart had been sacred to the children of the forest, Tom Seven Strings told her, and some of their magic lingered here still. No harm can ever come to those as sleep here, the singer said. Arya thought that must be true. The hill was so high and the surrounding land so flat that no enemy could approach unseen. I do think it's funny that Arya thinks that this place is very safe, difficult to attack, not because of any spiritual or magical beliefs, which we, as the readers, are like, of course, the Weirwoods, it's magical, you can't get in there. But she's thinking about it from a very practical terrain analysis. She's seeing... Mm, mm-hmm. she's seeing yes yes Syria would be very proud yeah. mm-hmm. she's learning she's probably his best pupil it's like yeah maybe that's <laughs> true <laughs> dang it's like it's like in bg3 where uh you know Baldur's gate in general you can as a rogue you can see all the exactly. areas where you can be seen like detective mode you know yeah The small folk shunned the place claiming it was haunted by the ghosts of the children of the forest who died when the Andal King Ereg the Kingslayer cut down their grove. So, of course, Jamie the Kingslayer's on the run right now, burning down the Riverlands, they all think, quote-unquote, even though he's just, like, on the run. I'll give him that. We know he's just running around. You know, scared. Getting his hand cut off soon. Falling in love. Chop, chop. Yeah. I find this Ereg character to be pretty interesting. I wonder if we'll get more about him. You know, we know that in what he fought, like, the children of the forest teamed up with the first men to protect this grove, but then fell to Eric's forces, and also, like, World of Ice and Fire has this line of Archmaester Periston, who suggested that Eric might, in fact, be a corruption of an adult title and not a name at all. Periston goes further in his A Consideration on History, suggesting this nameless Andal chieftain had cut down the trees at the behest of a rival of the River King who used the Andals as sellswords, and I'm like... So that makes me wonder a lot of things. Is Eric even an Andal? Or, like, how did he get that title? If it is just a title, like, which kin did he say? Why is he called the Kinslayer? Because we literally are not given any reason. Like, who who was, who was were they? Who were they? Like, was it a sibling who stood against his people to protect the grove and, like, the children of the forest and the first man? Or, like, was it Eric? Was Eric the a first man who, like, turned because of ambition or something else against his people? Like, at the pass of the River King. And, like, did he even know if he kinslayed? Was it, like, all an accident? Like, kind of-ish? With first Duncan Egg? Was he like, oh god, it's my kin! And I don't know. Especially because there's, like, a lot of kinslayer stuff coming up in this book. With, again, you know, Santa's trying to do weird shit. And Tyrion killing his dad, who's doing a weird shit. And, yeah. There's something there, like, almost related to the Northmen that are doing shit in Rob's name right now. Whether it's the Roos misinformation campaign that's begun or the Karstark misinformation campaign. Like, there's something kind of relatable <laughs> there, right? That you have, like, the, that might not have even been his name or it might not have even been him. Yeah. Maybe someone else did it. Uh, there's something going on there that I think is kind of neat that George is tying in almost. Do you think we'll get more about Eric? 
if anything, maybe we'll get a disambiguation in like a in Fire and Blood Part Two or something. But I don't know. I don't know that we'll hear more necessarily. We might hear something in Wow. Yeah. But I don't really think George is linking every single background thing because you know he's just uh creating that rich tapestry as he goes. Yeah, it's just vibes, kinslaying things, setting you up to be like, oh, kinslaying, interesting. So it's at the front of your mind. Themes, big themes, but, yeah. Yeah, themes. And also, I don't know, something about it. And then being like, remember Winterfell Crypts, everyone? And then it makes me again think of like John again, especially with the high heart stuff. Mm-hmm. I know you'll talk more about that. Arya's not afraid by no ghosts. Um, do, 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 and (laughs) remembers hiding in the crypts and playing games with her siblings such as come into my castle and monsters and maidens amongst the stone kings on their thrones wow thrones but even though she doesn't believe in ghosts she is very majorly creeped out that night and the wind tears her bedsheet off of her into the bushes and she finds the men all talking to a very short a very short older woman wrinkled and stooped leans on a gnarled black cane and could we all shrink as we get older there she is even you chloe i won't carm knows carm's met me yeah you're very you're very tall uh, you were about to say like big <laughs> as fuck it's okay if you sit no, i'm just kidding <laughs> um i think that the old gods wanted aria to hear this conversation because the ghost of high heart mm. is like the old gods won't let me sleep so i'm awake and aria is like oh the wind just blew the blanket off of me, so I just woke up. I think that the old gods did that. Also, might I just add that that is the worst feeling in the world, being woken up by the blanket going away. My cat does that to me often. No! Yeah, my husband does it once in a no. while. It's bad. Yeah, we gotta take him <laughs> out back. I didn't know cats could do that. Does like does your cat just like yank the whole... Yeah, she'll just like... Blanket she off? Dig it off of She you? likes to burrow, so she'll like just like pull it away mm. to like use it yeah good for her <laughs> yeah she lived outside for a while so she's a little odd mm. <laughs> and this is like major tinfoil and just like kind of on a whim i'm thinking this i wonder if perhaps aria overhearing this prophecy partially influences her like deep in her subconscious when she's warging into nymeria to save her mother's corpse from the trident mm. not really but like it could be cool because Stoneheart is heavily foreshadowed in this prophecy, and Arya does overhear it, and there must be some significance to the old gods awakening her to overhear this, other than for the plot. I love that, because mana is streaming all around us. Like, you are in a sacred-ass place. This is like, the skeletons of trees live here. Of magical trees. 31 of them? That's huge! That's a lot, right? Like, she only is ever around one, whether she's in, like, a little village or at home. Winterfell only has one. Yeah. It's true. There's a lot of power here. I like that idea. We get, like, the the entire passage of the prophecy. This is, you know, we did a episode a very long time ago, ages ago on Patreon.com slash GirlsGoneCanon, C-A-N-O-N, uh, for patrons of The Stranger Tear and Up on prophecies and seers and a bunch of other stuff. I recommend it, I think, because it's I barely remember it, but the stuff I remember from it, I looked back recently, because I was like, I know we did it, and I listened to it a bit, and reread it, and we do talk a little bit about some of these very solid prophecies, right? Because there's a little gray line of 
stuff that seems mystical and stuff that's straight up prophecy. And this is like, she looks at you, eyes red as hell, and she's like, this is a prophecy, I'm telling you. And it's very cryptic. So... I just remember you telling me about this episode and me being like, we what? Yeah, we did this episode. It was nuts. It was crazy. We were there. That was a good one. In fact, <laughs> I think I edited it. Maybe that's why. Because I feel like every episode you edit, you put part of your soul into a little. So you have to remember it. But I think I edited this one. So maybe that's why it's not embedded into you. But it was there. Oh, it was there. This, mm. Also, it was ages ago. It was a good so. one. Thank you. My God. Thanks, I think it was thanks. like 2019. I went into the backlogs. Jesus. The backlogs, the catacomb catalogs. Yeah. Uh, Kettle and comb. The Kettle and comb. I dreamt I saw a shadow with a burning heart butchering a golden stag. I, I dreamt of a man without a face waiting on a bridge that swayed and swung. On his shoulder perched a drowned crow with seaweed hanging from his wings. I dreamt of a roaring river and a woman that was a fish. Dead she drifted with red tears on her cheeks. But when her eyes did open, oh, I woke from terror. All this I dreamt and more. Do you have gifts for me to pay? For my dreams. Slay. Amazing, amazing. BAFTA, BAFTA. Thank you. I'm gonna get my water real quick so you know. You got. I deserve water for that one. But continue. This prophecy is like pretty straightforward. I mean, okay, so I wrote in the notes here that it's a very first time reader friendly prophecy, but when I like thought about that for like two more seconds, I realized that most of this hasn't happened yet. So I guess it probably isn't first time reader friendly, but the imagery is very clear. Like it's not as mystical and like confusing as some of the other prophecies. Pretty straightforward. Stannis killing Renly, Jacken killing Balon on Euron's orders, and then Catelyn's corpse floating in the trident. So on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that, you know, it foreshadows a little of what we're going to get in a second. I guess it tells you, like, you can believe this person because yeah. they tell you the yeah. Stannis killing Renly part because that did happen already prior. And, like, not everyone knows that there was, like, witchcraft involved yeah. in there. They're just, like, I don't know, weird things were happening. And then, yeah, faceless men killing Balin and Crow's Eye sighting. I do like that it's a very, like, ABC, here's yeah. your prophecy. Very cut and dry. Like, a. Uh... You think back to Bran having that first vision when he sees his sisters and he's like, Arya oh, holding her secrets in her heart and Sansa crying herself to bed at night. Sorry, I didn't mean to get real sad, but I started getting sad as I said it. I was yeah. like, oh God, what did I do? Yeah, but uh, those are very basic. Like, It's nice when George gives us a little, little soft paw into it before he gets crazy where you have like House of the Undying has some clarity but then some stuff in between you're like nice gnarly just eating westeros alive shit good good i wonder if when winds comes out that prophecy is gonna seem really run-of-the-mill to us the way that this seems pretty run-of-the-mill to us right now Ooh, like i wonder if maybe i wonder if maybe like something will happen in winds where we're like oh that like exactly fits this prophecy that we were all confused about Mm. Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm I feel like that could happen yeah. with a lot of things in wins, but wow. first wins has to happen. 
Yep, you know, you lost oh. me at thinking about I, wins. I'm a truther. So. I think I'm a about truther. wins a lot. I think I we're just... going to get it. Oh, I think we are too. <laughs> I think oh. we're going to get the wins a winner in Fire yes. and Blood Part 2. And Have a nice get day, everyone. 11 more Duncan Agna villains. The Grey Alice. <laughs> Second Grey Alice movie, not short story. Lamb doesn't appreciate all these dreams, by the way. I just want to bring Richard... Of win- of the wins? Yeah, of wins. No, of uh, the Ghost of High Heart. I want to bring Richie Rich back into it, you know? Richie Lawnmouth. He's so nice. Such a nice boy down the lane. He doesn't appreciate the dreams. He tells her his own from last night, and he says, I was kissing a tavern wench that I used to know. And she tells him, well, that girl's dead. Only worms kiss her now. Ooh, harsh. Does anyone harsh. have any info or, like, theories on who this tavern wench is? I am so beyond curious. Like, I know Lem's identity is a big question, but I would like to know who this woman is. <laughs> I agree. I like to know about the right. girls that men kiss, too. I like to get their right. numbers personally, but it never happens for me. But I don't know about this one. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I don't think... I don't know. I think, but you're right though. Like it's a, I think it's a nod to his identity more than anything, right? That he used to kiss LOL. a tavern wench. LOL. The night of kisses. I don't know. I think it, like most importantly, is saying he's had a past life. Focus on his past life. Unfortunately, the tavern wench falls uh, with Hagen's daughter with no name. You know, always gonna riot for that, but no name. No name. <laughs> I, yeah, I really am. He'll he'll name every single male character in this series, but when it comes to like Ned Stark's mom for a while, he was like, um, yeah. just Lady Stark. He's like, what if it's like right, Rihanna like- but with ours? <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. Yeah, it's world building in a way. Kimbra, <sighs> tavern wench you used to know. Now you're just a tavern oh. wench I used to know. Somebody. Somebody. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that leads into the Ghost of High Heart demanding a song from Thomas Sevens. And he plays it for her. And honestly, I don't know why anyone was like withholding like payment. This is like a pretty good deal, especially like in this economy right now. Like everyone's starving, as you pointed out. People are like fucking taking boobs off statues, and so like, why would you not just pay with a song? I'm always saying this at stores, and they don't agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> You're always saying no. Right. That was a valid transaction. They paid with the Car- song. I Car- or are like, you paying? I gave you my mixtape, please. <laughs> like back from The Walking Dead. Oh my god. Um, yeah. This is a great currency when you have nothing else to give. Although I will say, like, the idea of, like, rocker slash musician is not often looked at as, like, an entrepreneur in the way that you're looking at, Eliana. You know, many people look at them as mooches, hanger-ons, annoying. Uh, But I think it's like a a walking, singing historian in a way, as we've discussed tonight. And I think it's important because of that. It's a... It's an important POV, although at the same time, very soon, Marillion is a little douchebag, but he doesn't really deserve his pain that he gets, but he's a douchebag. Bards are a valid and powerful class. Yeah, just most of them uh, are dumb. You don't need the intelligence stat. Okay. Yeah, bards um, are funny. A lot of himbos in that one. <laughs> All right. So the singer played for her. So soft and sad that Arya only heard snatches of the words, though the tune was half familiar. Sansa would know it, I bet. 
Her sister had known all the songs, and she could even play a little and sing so sweetly. All I could ever do was shout the words. Imagine someone shouting Jenny's song. Yes. <laughs> um, it's a banger. I'm frustrated, and I know I'm frustrated that we don't get any lyrics. Like, just give us, like, one or two, like, of the lines. We're just edging. Yeah. 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 There's actually something interesting that George said in a So Spake Martin. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked him, you know, like, will we get more? And this was before the epilogue in Storm of Swords, because we do get it in the epilogue. The one lyric that we have, which was what we based an entire song around. Congratulations, D&D, for your last accomplishments. <laughs> right. Uh, that was a pretty good song. I, I mean pins could drop right like we all were like tears and yeah. eyes this was the episode it was yeah night of the seven kingdoms i think is probably one of the superior episodes of all time showing that there could still be a love song out there for ice ice and fire uh but george said back in 2000 i did write a few verses wow. but they were cut i wanted that particular song to be very haunting and evocative but i don't think that i quite achieved that which is kind of ironic because it's like that's what happens when you build something up like that like of course how could you ever achieve right. that it's better when it's left unsaid and uh i think by omission and we'll talk a little bit more about this later on in the episode but i think by omission it becomes so powerful as a symbol on its own i agree i just also would have loved to get a little lyric but symbol yes yeah but it, it it's like true this is like one of like the songs ever in westeros is george like bound now to use the version I, like, that D D wrote since it was such a banger. I don't think so. Do you think you could write one better? I don't know. I don't know. It was pretty good. Anyway, the next morning, the woman is gone, and Arya asks Tom if the children of the forest still lives here. And so he laughs and tells her, Oh, okay. So you saw her. You saw Ghost of High Heart, who is an old uh woman with dwarfism, evil eyed, but she knows things. It's kind of mean to say, evil-eyed. Um, anyways, sometimes she'll even tell you them. And he says that she likes a song that he can play. It's always the same sad song, but he knows other ones that are just as good. He just really wishes she would request different things. Big Joe Para energy. It's like Rhaenyra and House of the Dragon making that one singer just sing over and over and over again <laughs> for her. Oh, yeah. that's right. Again. Again. Again, Samwell. What else are you good for? What else are you good for? Poor Samwell. Yeah, it's also so real. Uh, as somebody who gets called out in their Spotify wrapped annually by Spotify for listening to the same song over and over again, I have hyperfixations. I have needs, okay? And Jenny's song, I could see that being the need, especially when that's, I mean, in context, it's all she has left. She went to court with Jenny and she came back. And now she has nothing because everything she had was gone. Like... Now she's back to her hollowed hill with cut-down weirwoods, just stumps reminding her of ghosts. I mean, maybe every night when no one's there, ghosts dance on those stumps. You don't know. Yeah. It's like you were saying earlier this episode, Karm, of like, this is this is a way of bringing Jenny back to life. This is immortalizing Jenny for her. Yeah, it is. And like, Tom points out, no, she's not really a ghost because ghosts don't complain of joint pain. So I do think it's kind of ironic then that she's called like the ghost of high heart, but I don't know. I kind of see her then. She's like Ned, you know, she's not the ghost. She's haunted by ghosts. And I think that ties in well with the opening of this chapter of Lord Leicester losing his loved ones. And, you know, there's there's 
no sorrow and longing for him because he's just forgotten, unlike with Ned and the Ghost of High Heart. But also, does that mean he's not even fully here then if he's living without those painful memories? And then it like raises these questions that I think go throughout the series also of how does pain become incorporated and part of the self? How does it shape the self? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, anyway. that's a great question. <laughs> Big sad. Yeah. Never wanted to leave. Uh, Are we not? Oh, okay. Thought we were all coming oh, in on the third there. To leave. That was like oh, one of my okay. most played oh, songs God. that year. Yeah. And that mother did it. I know. Oh, my God. That was so... Oh, yeah, that's right. They had our yeah. asses. They had our fucking asses. Like, you're going to put flow on that? My God. My God. <clears throat> Anyways. She knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Yeah. She put on that flower crown, and my God, she danced in the yes. halls of the kings that oh, were gone God. with the ghosts. <laughs> there's there's your clue, like we were talking about before the podcast, of board games and clue. Oh, you're making a... In the hall right. with the ghosts. All right, listen. So the real reason they went to this place was not to receive these fancy prophecies necessarily, but to find the scent, the trail to Thoros and Beric, because Beric moves a lot. You know, he's kind of like a Riverlands influencer. Uh, he doesn't really tell <laughs> them their plans. No one can betray him that way. But there are Just hundreds, there are hundreds, maybe thousands that are sworn to him now. They're scattered around in bands, ready to strike in a dozen places at once when they're given the word. And if they're captured and tortured, they won't be able to reveal Barrick's location, which is important. Literally genius of them. I love the Brotherhood. Yeah, they've got a lot of good ideas. Yeah, like feeding people. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's that's not even top five. I- no, I'm joking. <laughs> Jesus. No, but they do have, yes. Yeah, they've got a they've got a lot of good smart ideas. Um and I'm not going to dig too far into this, but I I wonder if some of the their portrayal is lightly drawing inspiration from the guerrilla warfare tactics of like the Viet Cong, but also not I mean not even just that, like guerrilla warfare in general. I just like bring that one up because I know that George uh was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War and I am not a war historian, so please do not, I don't know, hold me to any of these things, but in regards to those tactics for blending in with civilians and, you know, knowing the land better, gaining initial support amongst the people and the use of confusing information regarding location. Misinformation. Uh, I also would comment that, like, something fun George does is all of the fun groups get the guerrilla warfare and everyone else is like, it's dishonorable. And I'm like, but all the fun people do it, right? Like, the Craneg men use guerrilla warfare because they need that as an advantage because... You know, they have to use their advantages against their people of how they're able to operate and defend themselves. And then the Dornish, they do it. And then the Brotherhood, they do it. Like, guerrilla warfare is often used in Westeros by the more fun people. It's the fun. In Westeros. Yes, in Westeros, not in the East. Yeah, because I think in Essos, like, his whole, like, commentary and one day we'll get to these, like, starts falling apart when he uses it as the Sons of the Harpy. Yes, that's that sense. Mm -hmm. I'm not... You do not have to hand it to the Sons of the Heart. <laughs> I have never said that. Thank you very much. But No, no, no. No, she has not. In Westeros, as I emptied. Right. Not preempted, yes. but I did empt. In Westeros, the fun yes. people use that. The fun peoples, like the Cranach men. Right. They are fun. They are fun. They are so neat. <laughs> I just think they're they neat. They could be more fun. Yeah. If we saw them. Little Jojen. <laughs> Ah, oh, little guy. He's so pulpy and digestible. <laughs> no, 
full of fiber. Uh, you know, you know what he's had some of? Corn husks, Eliana. He's pasty. <laughs> They're not corn. Celium. Oh, celium. I don't know what they are. Mm, caps or something. Whatever. We we're of an age. I'm of an age where fiber is important to my digestive systems. Everyone could have more fiber, I think. I think that's just what happens so when you turn 22, you know? Yes. <laughs> when you turn 22, that's what happens. I mean, I don't um, know about you, but Eliana's 22. I thought you were going to say, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. And that was the joke. <sighs> oh. But it was oh, okay. about you and stuff. Anyways, so Harwin asks Arya if she understands what the term being questioned means, and she's like... Oh, yes, I know all sorts about questioning because I know Tickler, Polliver, and Raph. And they're like, who's that? And she says, is there gold hidden in the village? He would always begin. <laughs> Silver, gems, is there food? Where is Lord Berwick? Which of you village folk helped him? Where did he go? How many men did he have with him? How many knights? How many bowmen? How many were horsed? How are they armed? How many wounded? Where did they go, did you say? Just thinking of it, she could hear the shrieks again and smell the stench of blood and shit and burning flesh. He would always ask the same questions, she told the outlaws solemnly, but he changed the tickling every day. No child should be made to suffer that, Harwin said when she was done. BAFTA. I'm so glad you're here today. EGOT. Thank you. <laughs> Give him the EGOT. My degree. My god. So good. Jesus. Uh, that was beautiful. Oh Thank God. you for that. Whatever that like, almost like really shitty, like somewhat cockney English. Like Thank I'm you. a high lord and I'm sick of doing things. Thank you. That was. Oh my gosh. I saw the vision and I just want you to know that I respect the art. Thank you. I respected it. That made. Thank you. I think that made the whole episode. Good. <sighs> we could just release. I worked that. in the mines. I mean, you put night. in too much work. Day and night over a hot voice stove. Literally. <laughs> over the. Well, more to come. A microphone. More to come. Oh my god. Yeah, that's um. Arya recants that, gives it to him straight. Says this is what happened. Yeah, she had that ready. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. She like she had that queued up. Yeah. Because if it's happening to Ned Stark's daughter, it could happen to anyone. Yeah. Really though. Also, yeah. Like, ow, I love her. Poor baby. I also kind of love that quote I a know. lot. Like, yeah. I know it's cheesy, but like, I just love the progression of how it comes back mm-hmm. and how he uses it and like the the rhythm. There's like a good rhythm and cadence yeah. to like when oh, it true. finally comes back and when she stabs him. And like, it, it's great because it's just been dribbled back in several times, several times. And it's just a great resolve. Could be a song. We could remix. We could, that could be your mixtape that you pay for things with. <laughs> yeah. We'll add a beat, maybe. Uh, I'm not a DJ. Slay. So half of the mountain's men died at the stone mill, and Harwin says perhaps the tickler is one of those dead men, but Eddard had sent them all to bring the king's justice to Gregor, and Beric plans to make good on that mission. So I have a few things to say about this little section. Beric says that he plans to end the war this way, which is surprisingly naive to me. He must know that, surely he must know, that another Gregor would simply take his place. And I also kind of wanted to point out that Harwin promises Arya that the men that hurt her have paid with their lives. This is like his first instinct to comfort her with. And I think this really illustrates that the Brotherhood didn't need Stoneheart to become a cold, Mm. vengeance-motivated, deadly band of outlaws. 
that ideology was like <laughs> always present and Stoneheart being there just kind of brought it to the surface. That's a great point. I really like that that observation. Yeah, I mean that that's why it's a good fit in Arya's storyline, right? Being like, well, you know, death, vengeance, that's that's the same as justice, right? Right. Like it's it's like it's not the same to that, but her. it is in some ways. <laughs> spicy. Indeed. Very spicy. But you're right, it is kind of naive, like as we see, Gregor does die, and, I don't know, war keeps fucking happening. Even Tywin dies, and, like, war is still, like, fucking happening. Thank fucking God, though. Yeah. Kill that bitch. Yeah. Yeah, it is naive, though. I like that you called out the naivety, because, like, I mean, at the same time, I guess, like, the other the other options haven't been working either. No. But- <laughs> yeah, no, certainly not. I mean, Beric's, like, what, yes. 19? Yeah. And he's died seven times, and so he's lost a lot of, like, his memories and other stuff. He's, like, effectively ten That's years old. That's fair, yeah. Like, in men- mental. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I dated an ex-football player, and he had a lot of concussions, and it was pretty bad, so I, I could see that. And his his led to a lot of anger issues. This one led to, like, a weird religious, like, I'm being reborn thing. But uh, I-, I will say there's something in that, like, at least they do recognize their limited power and scope of power, and they do what as we've pointed out, the the highborns aren't doing, right? They're at least trying to keep people fed on the ground. They're at least trying to give relief and aid to the people on the ground that can't go out and seek it for themselves. And while they become unrealistic and have a big rift come, a big split comes in the group, I I mean, it's probably due to those dueling ideologies in a way. Yeah. Mm. So a long day's ride later, they arrive at the Great Oaken Keep, Acorn Hall. Its master is away fighting under Lord Vance, but his lady wife is a friend of Tom's, <coughs> ex-lover, and welcomes them in. Arya rides beside Ongai most of the way, who tells her droll tales of the Dornish marches, and is the closest in age to her besides Gendry. Arya knows, though, that he's like only really staying close to make sure that she doesn't run away. Lady Smallwood welcomes them, chastising them for dragging a young girl through the war, let alone a high-born girl. Lady Smallwood makes it her mission to have Arya bathed, taken out of this Bolton uniform, and put into much nicer girl clothing. After a couple hours, Arya is squeaky clean and dressed in brown wool stockings, a linen shift, and a light green gown embroidered with acorns. This process is described by Arya as feeling like she's being flayed, and it kind of shows the violence of being forced to present female and having her more like masculine identity stripped away like skin so i just thought that was interesting it's like the perfect dramatic irony considering what she was wearing that's such a great call out that like she describes it as being flayed although the people on her sigil do flaying and she would find that horrendous but she feels so much more comfort in that yeah in that outfit yeah yeah and was, I don't know, given, like, more, like, freedom of movement. Autonomy, yeah. Way more yeah. autonomy. She didn't have to hide that she was killing people. Yeah. Could just do it openly. Right. For fun. Now she can't even save herself. Because she has to go be a doll. Sad. Yes. <sighs> Lady Smallwood tells her about her great aunt, who serves as a septa in a mother house, and that her own daughter, Corellin, had been sent there to avoid the war. She asks if Arya likes to dance, and instead Arya says, I prefer needlework, ha 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 ha. When Lady Smallwood says it's a restful activity, Arya sends a bunch of winking emojis and is like, not the way I do it. The gods gift each of us our little gifts and talents, and it is meant for us to use them, my aunt always says. 
Any act can be a prayer, if done as well as we are able. Isn't that a lovely thought? Remember that the next time you do your needlework, says Lady Smallwood. Aw. It's such a, like, that quote makes me feel so many things. It's just such a, like, accepting way of looking at things. Anything can be prayer as long as you're putting your love into it, which is, like, kind of the essence of, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, super religious, so I can't really speak to this, but it, from my interpretation, that seems like what prayer is about, like, just putting your soul into it. And I just think it's, like, cool that she says that. I like her. Yeah, it's, it's acknowledging the meditative. You know, people come to things in different ways. Spirituality will be a yeah. little different for people individually. It is interesting, though, that, that, she uses the term prayer, though, considering that Arya does have that prayer. Mm. Mm -hmm. Death prayer. <laughs> Death prayer. Arya says she lost her needle, and Lady Smallwood says they must all make do the best they can in these times. And Lady Smallwood calls her a proper young lady now, and Arya thinks, I'm not. I'm a wolf. I just think this is such a little trans boy thing to say. Testosterone would have saved him, etc., etc., it's just so cute. Like, I'm not a girl. I'm a, I'm a wolf. It's got very, like, it's not a phase mom at all. Literally. Yeah. Literally. Actually, yeah. It's not a phase because it's a life bond. Because I'm, I'm a warg, <laughs> low-key. Uh, yeah. I love that. Especially because then, like, I also, I love this, like, ignorance from Lady Smallwood because it's very blissful in a way. It's very sweet. Yeah. And it is very, like, she means it out of wholeheartedness you know she does not mean any ill and she's like finally she like comes to her and she's like look i know you're obviously a highborn very important i don't know who you are god bless you and she's like i can keep you safe for now can't do it forever i have too few men to hold these walls but i hope i can keep you safe which is very kind it's the nicest honestly a woman's been to Arya in a while now that i say it out loud yeah yeah actually not a lot of positive female figures, no. even going back to King's Landing. What do you mean? Septim Mordain rocked. <laughs> Drunk and asleep, just like me. Uh, we're all here like fire Septim Mordain. I was, I was, I was slash J. Uh, Let her retire is all I'm saying. Yeah. Early uh, or late. Maybe late. It feels late. Yeah. Lady Smallwood uh, gets her out to dinner and dinner served. It's plain, but it's filling. Mutton, mushrooms, brown bread, peas pudding, and baked apples with yellow cheese, because we're a food podcast first and an ASWAF podcast second. I don't know if anybody out here also listens to Alt Swift X and Gleedus's podcasts. They do live streams where they like do tier rankings of every single food description in the Song of Ice and Fire. And they get into it. Like they ranked like the horse heart that Daenerys ate. They ranked like the the Yum. wine that Ed describes where his brother died in the wine casket, like they ranked that as a food description. Like they go in. But I just wanted to pay homage to them. They I think they put this in B tier, if I remember correctly. I I very much so think that Gletus has some very wonderful content. This is like my plea that we should be collaborating with Gletus someday. Like it's my ultimate dream because they uh they're fun. I feel like they have the great energy and food tier rankings, I love that. I really love that. It's amazing. There's like yeah. 10 hours of content, I think. It's amazing. Around food. That's nice. what we're into, so. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah, I don't know. Mutton, 
Yeah, maybe I think B does sound like a good, you know, it's like, it sounds pretty good, but like not best right. foods in the series. I think B tier yeah. makes sense. Well, the true dessert is that Gendry is laughing his ass off at Arya being dressed like a proper lady. He's like, oh, ha, 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 I can't believe this is happening. I've never seen you look like one of these. What is going on? After dinner, Greenbeard asks for lo- word of Lord Beric, and we hear that they were here a fortnight ago driving sheep, which is a Jesus reference, right? Shepherding sheep. Shepherding sheep around. Very yeah. Jesus-y. Jesus wept. George loves leaning on that thing from Christianity when talking about religious figures throughout World of Ice and Fires in general. Shepherds. History. Love jokes that someone could make a song about that, and Tom plucks his wood harp, which sets Lady Smallwood to being annoyed that he's out here fucking maids in the Riverlands with his harp, not like that. She says that they'll be calling him Tom of Seven Sons soon Damn. enough. And Tom's like, we passed seven many, many years ago. Fine boys they are. Voices sweet as nightingales. Wow, he's got a whole choir. It's Nick Cannon. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. Like, oh Nick god, Gone Cannon. Shots fired. Nick Gone oh, Cannon. Gosh. Oh no, he's not. A, he, that's from our Men Gone Cannon era. That's from 2023's um, Men Gone Cannon era. <laughs> yeah. um, Tom is a slut. I kind of respect his hustle. Yeah. Like not to Shaquille O'Neal it, but I'm like Thomas Seven Streams. Oh I didn't. I don't think I was familiar with your game before. I literally, yeah. He, and I apologize. He's like, yeah, I apologize. He's like a 50 year old foxy, silver haired foxy man. He's too charismatic for his own good. He goes around strumming chords, singing songs. Like I see the blueprint. Okay, I would too. Hmm. Hmm. Now. All of that said, I I will come back to this reference here. There's a line. The Riverlands are full of maids you've pleased, all drinking tansy tea. Oh. This was a great reference to the eagle-eyed readers to tansy, the herb that is used in the aberificent that is given to Liza, that she, you know, uses when she's prego with little finger. It's not great. Cat one. Lord Hoster's eyes opened. Tansy, he husked in a voice thick with pain. Cat two. So the chapter right after Arya two. Her father was growing weaker, more delirious with each passing day, waking only to mutter Tansy and beg forgiveness. So here in Arya four, we have a reference to Tansy T. Again, mask disguised by Arya and being ten. She does not think anything of it. And Arya five, we meet red-haired Tansy at the inn. And it all leads up to that reveal in Sansa 7 in A Storm of Swords, where Liza shrieks, as once shrieked by Lady Gwyn on our podcast, a very epic moment. I would have given you a son, too, but they murdered him with moon tea with tansy, mint and wormwood, a spoon of honey and a drop of pennyroyal. It wasn't me. I never knew. I only drank what father gave me. So the Riverlands are gearing up for a big reveal in this book. Yes. I am curious about the how Tansy T works because in House of the Dragon, a few characters get it. Like Rhaenyra gets Tansy T. I don't know if she drinks it, but she has many children. I, I think I saw someone online saying that maybe it's because the Grand Maester brewed it specifically and they didn't have quite as much of like a resource in River Run. 
Mm. Or like maybe like the way that the small folk make it, they aren't able to like get as high quality ingredients, so it doesn't work as well. I'm not sure, but I just thought it was interesting that this like kind of like ruined Lysa's fertility, but Rhaenyra drank it and she was able to have kids after. I think it depends on the body too, mm. right? Yeah. I guess mm, like true, especially because she was so young. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think George has really gardened all of this necessarily because I think back to like Asha, right? Asha takes it after her hookup with Carl, right. and she talks about it pretty openly that she'd just take moon tea. It's a very casual thing, and I think it just really depends. You look at some of the more religious folk when it comes to King's Landing, and not just religious, but culturally, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's frowned upon. In the Faith of the Seven, you know, your job is to birth children for your partner, so right. I can see where it, it's a little more harried, but I think that Liza just had issues with fertility in general, which can vary from birthing person to birthing person. You know, because you look at, I think about that, but then you look at Catalin, right, who I've played CK3, like I said, and Catalin just like births out. She's just like fertile myrtle. She's just like, here's my new heir. Here's my new heir. Here's my new heir. Whenever I play Crusader Kings 3, which is actually based on the books. So, you know, it's real. It's 100% canon, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm being sarcastic, like, I know it's not the same thing, guys. But I will say, like, obviously, Catalan had these children. She had heirs. She had several male heirs for Ned with no issue. I think it just depends on the person. Yeah. You know? For sure. Tansy is, like, was even, I don't know how reliably, but was historically used also, Mm. you know, as an abortifacient, like, in general, but also other medicinal uses that clearly worked to some extent maybe for people or were effective enough that didn't always maybe have such bad side effects it could be as you said right like the grand maester is just better at brewing it mm-hmm. it's also like perhaps this maester at river run might not have had as much mm-hmm. experience with this whereas you know the small folk mm-hmm. with the woods witches who are typically the ones mm-hmm. who would be doing this for a lot of the other small folk women right because like if you're a highborn woman you're expected to a right. not even have sex b not right having abortions whereas it might be more acceptable amongst like the lower classes and that's something that's carried around within that sort of like that community's knowledge but also like i mean maybe liza's just like allergic you know had an allergic reaction to tansy as well um besides the dosage yeah that makes complete sense i totally agree you know as you were saying chloe everyone's biology is different Mm -hmm. could be just like yeah. An adverse reaction. Well, man, on a linear level, like if you are a birthing person that has eggs going on, like as you age, the eggs change. They aren't readily available to be, right. you know, inseminated. Like sometimes, you know, I mean, as you get older, the chance is fleeting and changes. So, like if you have issues, you might just not know until you get older. And maybe there are complications, maybe there aren't. Also, it might have been, I think there's a very high likelihood, as people have pointed out, that it was John Aaron. Yeah, yeah that he was shooting blanks, yes, because yeah. look at his past record. That too, yeah. Mm-hmm. I rather like that. You yeah. know my feelings on Liza, my poor baby. Yeah. I think I think that was the whole point. They were like, well, clearly Liza's proven to be fertile. Yeah. And then that it was John Aaron shooting blanks and... um. For the most part, and like, mm. it, it's more that the tansy was yeah. like a really traumatic thing. Yeah, you know, like being forced to undergo an abortion yeah. is just like yeah, pretty bad. Right, pretty bad. Yeah, pretty bad. So Lady Smallwood recommends they look for Barrick down at the Stony Sept and at Three Penny Wood, where there's plenty of hunger. She tells them she's had less pleasant callers lately. A pack of wolves came by 
Thinking she had Jamie Lannister hiding there, Jack B. Lucky asks what she told them, and she said, Why, I said I had Sir Jamie laying naked in my bed, but I've left him much too exhausted to come down. A very Catalan answer. Uh, one of them had the effrontery to call me a liar. So we saw them off with a few quarrels. I believe they made for Black Bottom Bend. She's very sassy. She's very spirited. She lets them have it. We love Lady Smallwood in this house. Arya asks which Northmen came, and Lady Smallwood says, well, they wore black with a badge of a white sun. Arya knows that sigil. Lord Karstark, she thinks. She wonders if they're close, if she could give the outlaws the slip, if she could go meet the Karstarks and go to River Run. Ha ha ha. Based on the information you and I know, no, she should not. The men had claimed that Catelyn Stark let Jaime free. Arya is in shock and disbelief at this, and Harwin realizes she's listening. He and Greenbeard send Arya to go go play in the yard, and she stalks angrily away. So part of what makes Arya, I think, such a believably written child character is we see her often hear claims about her family and then react to it with disbelief, like, Sons would never do that, or Rob wouldn't do John wouldn't do any of those things, right? And, you know, Rickon and Bran wouldn't do that. Go and die. Um, that was a joke. They They didn't die also. Anyways... But this idea that humans are absolute is, it, it's immature and it's childish, which I think is why that's really well written about her. And also a side note, I do think it's interesting that they claim that Cat freeing Jamie is madness, <laughs> especially in regards to how madness is presented in this story in regards to, to gender, as we've discussed in the past. But also, I mean, you know, when it comes to love and, and the potential for losing your family i think like any like anything that's human it and illogical right because humans are very illogical that does kind of fall on the spectrum of madness but yes yes aria your mother would absolutely do that because guess what your mother would yeah. absolutely ransom for you interesting are you saying that they wouldn't follow a mad woman oh because then they oh, do well. it's very they're like, whoa, that's madness. Oh, wow. Let's follow her. Yeah, they're like, like that's the upgrade button. Oh, that's a we great point. Her. They really <laughs> do a 180 on her. Yeah, well, I think it comes back to kind of what you and also what Lo were kind of saying, Karm, like that, you know, the gendered violence of like a woman dressing up in an armor or a woman like becoming a war leader or a woman like, like I don't know, the power grasp of masculinity and being able to wield that power. Interesting that here they're like, no. She's mad for doing something like that, but then later she's, like, absolutely mad, and they're like, no, she's our leader. I know, it's so funny. Huh. Yeah, they were like, that- They're, they're a little confused. They're like- I like that. Mad. More like mad cool. <laughs> no, <laughs> she did that. Uh, well, Gendry <laughs> follows Arya. Gendry follows her. Not Catelyn. Not yet. And Gendry <laughs> tells Arya that there's a smithy and is like, do you want to go have a poke around? So they go, they start talking about Thoros, and Gendry kind of is like, just to clarify, is that the fat, drunk priest from King's Landing? And Arya's <laughs> like, yes, I don't know him, but I know he was very, you know, a colorful character in Robert's court, and he was always with Jalabar Joe. Gendry remembers he'd often come to the forge, and he would buy cheap-ass swords to light on fire in tourneys, and Tobomat would be like, don't light my swords on fire with wildfire. And Genji's like, I don't think this guy's going to remember me on sight. Uh, I think oh, he might, well. by the way. The logistics of this sound crazy. How do you light a sword with wildfire without, like, <laughs> killing everyone in the vicinity, including yourself and, like, the building you're in? 
I would like to know how he does this safely. Incredible. Outside, right? I guess maybe, maybe were yeah, they just outside Yeah, does he just like bring it with him everywhere? Like, I don't know. I, I'm very, I, I need Thoros to let me know what's going on there. Because that's one, one heck of a trick. And I also... Are you trying to recreate maybe. it? It could be fun. Um, <laughs> the sword dipped in wildfire is kind of like a reflection of Stannis's fake Lightbringer to me. These mm-hmm. two like swords are like individual halves of Lightbringer in a way. Stannis's sword, mm. lol, um, doesn't get destroyed because it's like just an illusion. So it comes off as much more magical because the sword doesn't get destroyed, but it doesn't emit heat either. While Thoros's sword, lol, does emit heat, but the medium is consumed. Neither could truly recapture the splendor mm. of Azorehai's flaming lightbringer. Both are like hollow, cheap recreations of the legendary sword under the name of Relore. And it's kind of emblematic of how the War of the Five Kings is a cheap recreation of the conflict between the living and the Great Other. And yes, Stannis does go north to fight the walkers, but let's be so serious, he does so to secure his spot on the Iron Throne. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, like it's. That's all I have to say about like, that. Yeah, yeah. that's um, you said it better than I ever could. Thank you very much. But even like bringing Aemon into yeah. this, exactly. Like it's a fake sword. These are fake swords, and it's interesting that they're calling upon the legends in order to become the legends yeah. themselves. Mm. 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 Carm. Oh, thank mm. you. <laughs> I'm eating good right now. Thanks, Carm. Wow. Yeah. They. Talk about how Thoros isn't actually very priestly, which we kind of know, too, from some of the side chapters, that he would outdrink even the king. And Gendry says, he's a sot, a drunken sot. And Arya's like, you shouldn't call the king a sot. And he's like, I meant Thoros, not the king. Right, because Gendry's a good son. He would never call his father a sot. Until he knew who he was. Right. Then he might. He might, yeah. 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 <laughs> It's art funny though that Arya was like, "Oh, I know, King." Interesting that we have oh. the drinking buddies together, right? That Richard Lonmouth, one of Robert's drinking buddies, is in this group, and then Thoros, one of Robert's drinking buddies, is in this group. Yeah, arguably, is is the out drinking? I don't know. Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. Yeah, they do that all the time in yeah. church, allegedly. Allegedly, Eliana, are you saying that you think? <laughs> Never mind. I don't have time for no. this. Let's move on. No. But anyways, um, anyways, priestly behavior. Carm and I right now are just <laughs> waiting for the penny to drop out yeah. of the air. It, huh. Okay, so anyways, Thoros and Robert loved tourneys, and Thoros led the charge of Pike with a flaming sword during the Greyjoy Rebellion. He was the first over the wall, if you're a member of the lore. Arya wishes that she had a flaming sword. She's like, I don't care if it was a trick or not. I want one. And Gendry's like, oh, you should hear about the first sword I made because boys love to talk about their hobbies. And he starts telling her about how before Yorin came to take him away, he was about to make a sword. And Arya's like, well, you can make them for my brother Rob at River Run. And he's like, River Run. And he looks at her for a moment and then he goes... You kind of look like a proper little girl right now, but different, maybe. And she's like, I look like a stupid oak tree. You know, Louise Belcher voice, mostly. Yeah. And uh, Arya's like, 
talking back and forth. She's like, you stink. And she shoves him because she's like, don't fucking compliment me. So she shoves him on an anvil and he catches her arm and they roll around the smithy for a bit. He's really strong. She's really fast. Yada, yada, yada. I am not a Gendry Aria shipper in the slightest. However, I must admit that this is shockingly similar to the Brainy fight, which I do ship. So just had to put that out there. It's very, it's very, I'm sure it's similar for a reason. Yeah. yeah and it's nearby it, like geographically in the story. Yes. And chronologically. Mm. Yeah. 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 It it's, it's a cute adorable. scene. Also, I, I don't know if you said this already last chapter or in another chapter once, Chloe, but I'm just going to bring it up again. You know, acorns, acorn imagery. Seeds of the next generation, Degrassi, the next generation, and trees coming up throughout the chapter. Specifically, I think you might be thinking of that brand chapter. Probably. About the line about the acorn. You know, the oak is the acorn, the acorn's the oak, and the weirwood. A thousand human years are a moment to a weirwood, and through such gates you and I may gaze into the past. But even that line, the oak is the acorn, the acorn is the oak. The chicken is the egg, the egg is the chicken. <laughs> yes, That's brand three, a dance with dragons. Thank you, thank you. Yes, Sally dance with dragons, and I mean it fits with this. There's a whole fucking ring of weirwoods over there. That's it. That's the insight. By the end of the brawl, they're both covered in dirt, and Arya's ripped the sleeve of her acorn dress. I bet I don't look so nice now. She shouted. <laughs> Good for her. She's remembering her being like, she couldn't say, she just shouts the words. Yeah. I like that Lem clouts Gendry in the ear, like Dunk. So cute. Yes. Yes. I've noticed he's done that a couple times now, too. He loves to clout. Yes. We all love the clout. <laughs> let's be real. Well, they return to the hall, dirtied and bruised, and everyone's kind of laughing at them, but also kind of frowning, too, like it's right. inappropriate, this display. Tom is singing. And, you know, I actually have been really thinking about this song for a few weeks, and I have nothing, but I'm going to make something up on the spot. Uh. But I actually, like, I want you two to know that I've been thinking about you two for, like, two and a half weeks, and I've been thinking- There's three of us here. Oh, Evie, too. I've been thinking about all of you and Evie for several weeks and thinking about how I might, like, come up with it on the guitar, even. Like, I'm just, like, I might play around and figure it out. But the song that Tom is singing, my feather bed is deep and soft. Then there I'll lay you down. I'll dress you all in yellow silk and on your head a crown. For you shall be my lady love and I shall be your lord. I'll always keep you warm and safe and guard you with my sword. And how she smiled and how she laughed, the maiden of the tree. She spun away and said to him, no feather bed for me. I'll wear a gown of golden leaves and bind my hair with grass. But you can be my forest love and me your forest lass. Love. Thank you. Thank Woo. you. Thank you. That I'll be here all day. Got... EGOT. Wow. Thank you. An EGOT podcast. Amazing. She Evie did. thought it was brilliant was too. I saw it. Thank you, Evie. I would sing to you, Evie. You little clutching needy cat. I love a needy She's cat. She's really needy. She's like we love a needy cat. Me. Oh, good for her. <laughs> Amazing. 
I don't know. Amazing. Thank you. Chloe. Thank you. Thank you for having me on my podcast. I, uh, uh, you can get my mixtape over at soundcloud.com. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll work on that. You know, there might be something fun there. You never know. I think it's perfect. Yeah. I would, uh, thank you. I, I can see, you know, if that's what Tom's doing. Oh yeah. I yeah, get it. Would let, would have your, would have your son, Chloe. But, um, I totally get what Tom's doing. I see his game. I was unfamiliar yeah, with his game, I see but it. now I'm familiar. I'm like, hmm, I've dated old men before. Anyway, here's Heron Hall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love this focus of like music and song in Arya's arc. And, and, you know, what you said, Karm, about how the fight, her and Gendry's fight, is very akin to Brienne and Jamie's rings true because I feel like music is prominent in their arc with. The bear and the maiden oh, fair in general, well. and, and there's a big repet. Yeah, there's yeah. like a song thing going on here, uh, and, and the music and the songs and the stories in Arya's arc. It's folklore of ice and fire, right? We're getting a folklore of ice and fire. We're getting what traditions and culture. To Eliana's way earlier point about the sept, like what's important to these people of these villages and what they value, the things they value, and of course George as usual. He's playing with his little fun game of giving secrets of the story to characters who don't and can't understand it, right? Like Arya hearing songs that she doesn't know what they're about. I, I, I think about this song especially, the maiden of the tree, that lyric, right? The maiden of the tree and the laughing and the spinning and the smiling and how, honestly, it makes me think of the night of the laughing tree. Yeah. Right. We don't know the origin of the song, but it, this could have been written by Rhaegar. It could be about oh, absolutely. Liana, right, hysterically enough. Last chapter, we talked a little bit about how Harwin capturing mm-hmm. Arya as she tried to run away on a horse may have happened with the Kingsguard yeah. and Liana, right, with Rhaegar and the Riverlands. So who's to say this song isn't about... Other times, who's to say that Rhaegar didn't visit Lady Smallwood? Who's to say he didn't visit the Ghost of High Heart, who he surely knew? This could have been written by Rhaegar, and I think it's easy to say that, you know, coming back Mm -hmm. to our discussion earlier with Jenny's lyrics, right, of her song, it reveals something to the plot that we can't know yet, thematically. Obviously, George wants it to be haunting, but there's something regarding Lyanna and Rhaegar that has to be revealed, and I can't figure it out. Uh, but I think it's quite clear he's the yeah, author absolutely. of Jenny's song, right? It's interesting we're getting those footsteps that she's retracing Liana's footsteps through these very chapters. And Duncan, the Prince of Dragonflies, and Jenny as a placeholder for Rhaegar and Liana works really well in the story. Even just as like a way to storytell for George. Like it's smart for him to relate it because Duncan it's kind of a remix. Duncan was yeah. sworn to a Baratheon girl. And he forsakes that yeah. shit. He's like, no, he literally thanks. is like, no, thank you. Yeah, as the only brunette in the family, I say no. So that's what Duncan, the Prince of Dragonfly, says. And he forsakes it all for Jenny of Old Stones and gives his crown to his brother, something the Baratheons know nothing about. A half-wild peasant girl, everybody said, right? Calling her maybe a witch from the Riverlands. He abdicates his claim on the throne for her. And she brings the ghost of High Heart to court. In the World of Ice and Fire in the Aegon 5 chapter, we get a lot of background on this, including 
Jenny of Old Stones was accompanied by a dwarvish albino woman who was reputed to be a woods witch in the Riverlands. Lady Jenny herself claimed in her ignorance she was a child of the forest. So a lot of the same themes of this chapter. The Ghost of High Heart then tells Prince Jaehaerys in a manner of words that Ares should marry Rayella. So we can kind of presume there's some sort of prophecy there. Maybe about the prince that was promised from that line. And in turn, Rhaegar and Lyanna have some dominoes that have yet to fall. And Jenny's song is, like, not unheard. We've seen it a couple of other times in the plot. Like, later in A Feast for Crows, Sansa 1, we hear Marillion sings it. He sang of the Dance of the Dragons, of Fair Jeanquil and her Fool, of Jenny of Old Stones and the Prince of Dragonflies. He sang of Betrayals, Murders Most Foul, Hanged Men, Bloody Vengeance, if any of these sound, you know, relevant. He sang of Grief and Sadness, or Gorging on Grief and Sadness. And in the World of Ice and Fire, we have in the Stormlands section for House Baratheon, the love between Jenny of Oldstones, with flowers in her hair, and Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies, is beloved of singers, storytellers, and young maids, even to this day. So this is a popular song, despite us not having all of the lyrics in the Aeswath universe. This is a very popular song. Yeah. Everyone fucking knows it. Rhaegar put out a hit single, and he was only 24. Yeah, no, I love how... I honestly, like... I like how few songs that we get in A Song of Ice and Fire, I think that it really elevates them all to a much higher level. I think that, like, currently, at this point in time, with, like, Spotify and other services, like, the market is so oversaturated with songs, even though songs can still be meaningful, they aren't. In Westeros, there's, like, that we know of, like, 15 songs you can, like, choose from, and you just have to, like, sing (laughs) the shit out of them and, like, just love them. And I feel like it's just, like, Hit Clips? Carm, do you know about Hit Clips? Do you know about them? What they are? What do you mean by that? What are Hit Clips? So, back in the day, when Eliana and I were in our youth, there was... This was only in, like, the 90s, okay? So don't don't get crazy at me. Right. But we're not that old. But (laughs) in the 90s and the aughts, the early aughts, there was a thing called Hit Clips. And it was, like, a mini player. Before, like, MP3 players were really getting big, they were too inaccessible... This was a mini player that you could take a little tiny miniature clip and plug into it. It would be in the Ooh. shape of a boombox, like this big, tiny big. And it would play 30 seconds, a hook of a song that was popular at the time. Need. Yeah. Yeah. I will send I- you some links. <laughs> you don't need them. They, it's good they died, yeah, honestly. But you can, now I have. Now you have a phone. You can get them on eBay, I hear. You can. Weren't you telling me that there are some with like, I don't know. But what you're saying is, like, Westeros needs a hit clips. Like, they need to be able to pull out, like, their best 30-second hook. Like, this. We don't get the full song, but we get, like, a verse or two. That sounds... I would honestly, like... Hit clips. I would love that. Love. Oh, I had all of them. You know, I had all of them. I was... That sounds amazing. hit clips were real. Literally. go back into business and sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) They can't even sponsor themselves, but, um... I'm still thinking about when I said hit clips and I started to explain them to you and then Eliana put her hand over her mouth and no one got to see it except us. It was an experience. So thank you for sitting through that, both of you. I really appreciate that. The earliest, I think the, like, music that was in when I was, like, born was CDs, I think. Okay. Mm. Yep. Yep. They were popular for us, too. I burned burned Mm -hmm. mixtapes in high school because I was edgy. Oh, 
Yeah, that's yeah. why you're my friend. I like that about you, Karn. <laughs> yeah. And I would like play them in the car. I made mixtapes for many a person had a too. Player still? Did your car still have a cassette player? I made CDs. No, they were CDs. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you were really, really. No, 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 no. Very edgy and precocious. I wasn't that cool. You're still very cool. That was still very cool of you. I was just like, that's no, yeah. dedication. The 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 cassettes. Uh. No, that I I don't think I, I I didn't hang out with cassettes a whole lot. Next next time you come on, Chloe will explain cassettes to you. Word. Okay. Um, Anyways, I know they have I know they have tape. Glossing over that. Thanks, Eliana. <laughs> I mean, I could. I just don't think you need to know about the dying art. Uh, I did both. I did both. So back to A Song of Ice and Fire, where Rhaegar has still not dropped his fire mixtape because he dropped his fire mixtape in the Trident and died. Lady Smallwood smiles a very small, fond smile, and she's like, I have no gowns of leaves. But my daughter Corellin left other dresses, so she takes Arya upstairs for yet another bath, which is very tiring, and puts her in a lilac dress, not Arya's color, decorated with baby pearls. Arya cannot ride in this, of course, so the next day she ends up with a new outfit. Just thinking about it, you're right, it's not her color. No, it's too cool oh. for her. She needs a tiny bit of, like, if she's gonna go cool, she needs, like, a dark gray. It really fits her. Well, she has, like, high contrast features like me, but not my undertones and skin color, so it doesn't I just know that, like, my mom told me growing Um, up lilac makes me look sick, and it does, and I just don't think it would do her any favors, that's all. Yeah. Anyway, now that we've done this color analysis on Arya's colors. Lady Smallwood gave her breeches, belt, and tunic to wear, and a brown doe-skin jerkin dotted with iron studs. They were my son's things, she said. He died when he was seven. I'm sorry, my lady. Arya felt suddenly bad for her and ashamed. I'm sorry I tore the acorn dress, too. It was pretty. Yes, child, and so are you. Be brave. (laughs) Crying in the club. No, that's so... Real crying in the club, man. Yeah. They found a ground for one another. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the first time that I read this chapter, I, like, I literally started, like, dry heave, ugly sobbing at this part. Because, like, even though Lady Smallwood tried to, like, scrub Arya clean and give her pretty lady dresses, I do believe that she recognizes on some level that what Arya truly desires is to wear boys' clothes and play in the dirt and Mm. fight with swords and ride horses and be free. And she wants to care for Arya and bring her comfort in the midst of this horrific war. And comfort for Arya is, in part, masculinity. So instead of sending Arya off in a silk dress or even in her old tattered Bolton rags, she gives her good quality boys' clothes. And not just any boys' clothes, she gives her the clothes of her dead son. The empathy displayed in both of these characters here is just, like, absolutely astounding to me. Lady Smallwood parts with a keepsake that reminds her of her son for the sake of a child who she met just one night prior. And Arya, who originally saw these dresses as stupid and pointless and, like, she doesn't want to wear them, she recognizes the weight of this parting gift and decides to offer her courtesies the best way she knows how by complimenting the beauty of the dress that she ruined. Um, and it just, like, is so... Ugh, it's so ow. And it, like, 
it it kind of she ruined Sansa's dress too, and I feel like in some way, like she's apologizing to Sansa a little bit too, because this is the first like highborn, not the first, but this is one of the first highborn ladies she's encountered in a while, and I'm sure that she reminds her on some level of Sansa and her mother. Yeah, it's a duty. She's understanding the duty of it, and and yeah. that Lady Smallwood understands her through the duty of it. That yeah. you have a lot on your shoulders. Whether you want to be a highborn lady or not, that's the role you've been given by life. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I'm probably reading too much into this, like, and ashamed part, but there's a part of it that also reads, like, not just, you know, feeling ashamed that I have, um, in regards to this nice thing that belonged to your daughter that, that I've destroyed, but also, like, a, a part of her that almost, is it, like, feeling ashamed that she could not fit the role that... Lady Smallwood was trying to fit her into and that society has been trying to fit her into because when you can't fit the role and the mold that you're given or told that you have like there is shame associated mm -hmm. with it as well and like feeling ashamed to be who Arya really is. Yeah. So. It's just yeah because yeah. you know you have so much and others have so little. Others don't have that escape route at all. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, it's not similar, really, but it, like, she's like, you're gonna dress up like a boy anyway, so instead of these old clothes, I'll give you new clothes. It kind of reminds me of being, like, a little baby trans, and I met my friend's older trans brother for the first time, and at this point, I, like, didn't really know how to bind. I was just wearing a bunch of sports bras that were too small for me, which is a hazard, and I remember he had just gotten top surgery, and he gave me my first binder. It was, like, his old one. And he was like, yo, like, I know you're gonna, like, keep doing this, so, like, you might as well do it right. And it just, like, kind of reminds me of that, like, parting, like, an item of clothing that has already been owned by someone can be so meaningful. And mm. it, like, reminded me of that a lot. I don't know. And it's, like, obviously different because Lady Smallwood isn't trans, but, like, just the whole, like, you're gonna do it anyway, so I'm gonna give you a better way to do it. Yeah. It's the acceptance from a mother. Yeah. Well, it may not be your mother. It's the acceptance and the hope that it could be the same acceptance you get from your mother, yeah. too. I think there's some of that. And I think uh, I think of swords, right? The, the idea of, like, giving a sword down from generation to generation and that saying, like, I'm proud of you. I trust you. You're my heir. You're the person that I can trust to do this task that is so meaningful to our family, for example. Like, I think of Damon Targaryen getting his sword, or Damon Blackfire getting the sword over his brother, mm -hmm. and what that means. And, like, clothing can have that same exact influence. You look at Sansa's chapter before this, right? Or uh, before Arya 3, sorry, mm -hmm. when you had Sansa 2. Yeah. With the dress that binds her and gives her in marriage to Tyrion, and how awful that is, and, like... The dress being the death sentence. Yeah. And for Arya being able to wear the clothes of this dead boy and how much it means to Lady Smallwood and also to her. They're two separate meanings, but together combined, they're really powerful. Yeah. That's a really good point. And then there's like the, you know, Lady Smallwood reassuring, you don't need to be ashamed about this. You don't need to be ashamed about wearing boys' clothes. Like, just... Go out there, be yourself, mm. be yeah. brave. Whoever you are, that's like, that's pretty. And yeah. just like your soul, whatever it is. And yeah, earlier you were talking about the bath scene 
being written in, in such a way that it felt like a flaying. And this this bath is apparently like even worse, but I almost now in that context I'm reading it differently. Like it's painful to find your true mm-hmm. self. It's painful to get to live and be your true self and like is this next bath not a flaying but a stripping of these other signs that have been put on to Arya to get to then that true self and to and to finally uncover yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. Two different kinds of baths. There are two baths inside Aww. of you. Oh wait, what? <laughs> two baths inside of you. Guys, wait. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> You all thought this was about Arya being a wolf. It's about Arya yeah. being two baths. I'm not going to question it. You know what? I think you're both right. Anyway, I just like that. Be brave. Feels like advice Ned would give, especially because I think, you know, coming back to that idea of like what boys are told to do, like Ned didn't actually, I think, give any of that advice to Sansa or Arya. It was advice that he gave to his son, Bran. That's the only time a man can be truly brave when he's afraid and so this is something that feels like something someone would tell their yeah oh this is a great equivalent yeah i love lady smallwood i wish she like i wish she came back in every chapter it's interesting eliana i don't know if you i think you had possibly omitted it from your original notes but i do want to add you had said something at one point offline about how you know she's kind of the the lady hornwood of the plot for Arya. You know, oh. she's very fleeting. She yeah. uh, brings a lot of emotion to the plot. And, and I think she gives me personally a certain affinity for her just in that acceptance that she gives Arya that maybe Catelyn won't get a chance to ever, obviously, because undead. It, it's the most acceptance Arya gets. <laughs> and Lady Hornwood kind of, not necessarily the same vibes, but brings some vibes to Bran that, that teach him about you know, his kingdom someday he might rule. And for Arya, the same, like, this this conversation with Lady Smallwood informs her so much on being highborn than she was ever taught by her family. Yeah. Yeah. I had put that in there because, like, she had wanted to protect Arya. She's like, I don't got enough troops, right? Which is what was the problem with Lady Horton. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't have enough troops. Mm. Someone please help. And... Oh, I'm worried. But the... the oh. Yeah, the whole thing is, like, I, I, you know, then it does bring back, you know, Lady Smallwood in that moment was like, I, I wish I could protect you. And what she does do, she does protect Arya. She protects Arya's sense of self and then gives Arya yeah. armor through through the clothing, through being able to live more like no, exactly. Arya's true self. If he does anything then- to Lady Smallwood, I'm going to fucking riot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. George. George, you better protect these lands. You better fucking protect these lands. What the fuck? What the fuck? I would do anything for her. Yeah, that's mother. No, truly. Ugh. I wonder. We could meet Carolyn. Mm-hmm. In the Citadel. In Sam's chapters. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking that it's a. It's kind of a fun name. It's a very like I like when we get some fun Riverlands kind of names or like some names that you know are just local Sweet. names. Carolyn. Sweet Carolyn. Father Bed. Oh. Remix. Uh, Carm, you've come on a journey with us today. We've been very blessed to have you on this journey. Thank you. It's been so wonderful. Thank you for being here. Is there uh, anything you would like to add? Slash, can you tell everybody where to kind of find you online if you want them to find you? You don't have to want them to find you. 
This is like a, a personal choice. If you want them to enjoy the old Ange, Angai with you, Ange, oh God. Um, <laughs> That's a different website. Yeah, so my Twitter is at Caesar Valid, but Caesar is spelled wrong. It's spelled C-A-E-S-E-R instead of A-R because I was already taken. Oh yeah. I started a Tumblr a while ago and haven't added to it, but I want to start adding. My Tumblr is at Weasel of Tarth and I used to do Ooh. threads on Twitter where I like analyzed Mitski songs as like a song of ice yes. and fire characters. Yeah. I learned yeah, very quickly that Twitter is a terrible platform to do that on, so I'm going to start doing that on Tumblr and also just like connecting with the community. So it's not up right now, but by the time that this airs, I will have content on there, and I would love to hang out with you guys on Tumblr. Yes, weaselofthar.tumblr.com. Yeah. I follow it. You should, too. <laughs> I don't know if I can log into my Tumblr anymore. I, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm actually back on Tumblr again, just for fun. I'm having a good time, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear it's fun again. So. I'm posting gift sets yes. again like it's 2013. It's it's two, yeah, exactly. I was like, it's 2013 and 14 again, everyone. It really, the Hunger Games, Tumblr, just Twitter is brutal right now. I don't want to be on there anymore. Yeah, you know, not now, Elno. Not now. Not now. Yeah. Well, we've had such a blast with you tonight. We will link below where to yes. find those posts. Get ready for Weasel of Tarth Tumblr era. It's returning. You know, Eliana, I think that if anyone wants to find us, we're not necessarily on Tumblr, but we're on a couple places. Yeah, you can find us on twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or over on Blue Sky with the really long URL, but just search Girls Gone Canon, again, C-A-N-O-N, and you'll find us there. Perhaps you have thoughts you would like to share with us, please send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and I want to give a really big shout out to our patrons patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. That's another place that you can listen to our episodes. They give you a little private RSS feed. And our patrons are everything. If we didn't have them, these episodes would not happen every week. They sponsor them. They make sure they come out through sheer force of will, honestly. So thank you to them. And here's a little word from them on where else you can listen to us at. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier or above, you have access to a Discord and monthly happy hours and things like that. And... By joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shit posting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, a song of ice and fire. There's a pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community. It's a lot of fun and you won't regret it. What a fucking episode. Are you for? It's the first big episode in a while. It was a big boy. Happy to have gotten through it with you, Carm. Thanks for being here. And as always, yes. I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yes. Thank you, Carm. Thank you. This was wonderful. I had a wonderful time. I'm glad. Um, go be brave. 
Be brave, Carm. Oh, oh. oh out on be your brave, feather be brave, bed Evie. or whatever. Yeah, be brave, Evie. The bigger be brave. Am I, am I allowed to be... Do you want me to edit your animals? Like, Yeah, don't dox Carm's cat. Don't, don't dox his cat. Yeah, do you want me to dox your cat or not? She can... I, I tweet about her. <laughs> Okay. We'll see. She can be. She's. We'll we'll uh we'll keep Evie in our thoughts. You know that's the brave Aww. warrior cat for sure. So true. <laughs> so true. We'll see you all next time for Arya Five, the last Aswaf POV app of 2023.